0: Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff. This week on the show, we were going to talk about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which I really liked and Sean, I think you were really going to like. And then your movie theater exploded or something. What happened?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I yesterday from this recording, I was going I was on the way to the movie theater with uh, my dad, who I've seen every Marvel movie in the theaters, with the exception, I guess, now of Black Widow, because we didn't see that. Um, but we were going to a movie theater. The first time we've gone to a movie theater since we got to Texas, um, and it took a bit to sort of figure out, okay, what's like a close theater that also looks good and all that kind of stuff, and we figured one out. It looks it seemed really good as a Cinemark Theater. Those always have nice chairs and stuff. Uh, and then we get there. And I go up to the, there's like a guy standing outside in every theater in the pandemic times, you know, it's like every theater has its own system of dealing with who do you talk to to be like, uh, hey, I do have the tickets that obviously I just bought online. And so I was like, oh, I guess that guy's outside. And I walk up and he says, hey, the plumbing is broken. I'm like what? It's like, oh, like all <laughs> the water. It's it's like, if you can't let anybody in the building because like the toilets don't work. Um, like concession stand is broken this is like, so we're giving everybody refunds. And like, okay, that we got back to the car, and and there was a moment of like, well, kid, should we? Let's like it took a little bit of time to see if there was another movie theater. But between like, not knowing where the fuck those movie theaters are, and trying to deal with like it, connecting to it through like a three G network on my phone, and like trying to balance how long it would take us to get there, what are the movie times? It's like I was like, uh, let's not fuck this let's just like go next week and we'll we can we can talk about something else on the podcast this weekend because it was too too annoying to try to figure all that out at that moment
0: that's okay we have other stuff to talk about we will we are going to make up for it today though by talking other marvel stuff and doing our long promised uh marvel catch-up with the disney plus shows because you have now seen All of WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki, is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. I've spent the past about a week and a half watching all those kind of like a couple of episodes a night with my mom and dad as like a nice like, oh, we eat dinner, and then we watch a couple of episodes of, of some fun Marvel stuff.
0: Okay, well, we will talk about those as kind of our main topic. We are also going to dive into Genshin Impact 2.1 because that launched this week. Um, We've both played a ton of it. I have not played as much of it as you have, I think, because I've been just crazy busy and I had a wedding this weekend and all this stuff. But I did get up this morning and I mainlined the rest of the main Chapter 2 story. So I've finished up to where all the, the Archon quests basically leave off.
1: I want to make it very clear that it's not your wedding that you had this weekend. You were at someone else's wedding. What did I say you said I had a wedding this weekend and it, it sounded it okay. sounded vague enough that I want to make it very clear for everybody that you did not just get married you're just like just passing back past that
0: I do it every couple weeks you know annulments are cheap no yeah, um, yeah no if, if I ever get married I, I, I think you guys will hear about that before it happens uh, we'll see though it totally depends. Um, but yeah, no, this was a a cousin's wedding, not my wedding. This is the the third fucking wedding I've been to this year from someone around my age. Just the universe just, you know, telling me to be miserable. Um,
1: it's just, you know, it's it's the end times that we're living through with the pandemic and global warming, and all that. So so people are, are hooking up. <laughs> like, think you, deserve- you gotta do it, you gotta do it now, or it's just like, are you just like, eh, it's not worth it.
0: Boy, this got off to a rough start. Um, Anyway, so those will be our main topics today. But uh, Sean, how have you been other than the movie theater not being good?
1: Uh, I've been pretty good overall I did have it was a weird couple of days because that was Saturday was me trying to go to the movie theater and I've never had that like I was very dumbfounded when the guy was trying to explain to me that it's like oh no you're just gonna have to get a refund and likely the refund thing was super easy because it's just a dude who scanned your ticket it's like ah it'll just like update on your credit card in like a day and it has and then they also gave us two free like passes for the inconvenience so technically I made about 20 bucks um for them having the good deal shut down yeah but it was it's like standing there just being like i've never gone to a place and then just being like no you can't because like this building is ruined right now uh, <laughs> it's just like oh, okay okay um because to make it clear like i had bought those tickets about 30 minutes before we had left in the car so it wasn't like a thing where i had bought it a day early and then a significant amount of time had passed it just must have been that they had not updated that's like you cannot View any movies at this site and then the day Before that on friday there Was also like i think it was Maybe five or six hour long Internet shortage or internet outage Like right around noon to Like basically like five or six o'clock Which is the longest like i've ever Seen had the internet be down that was not Part of some like you know There's like a flood when we were in boulder And stuff like that where you know the power Out was power was out for A more significant amount of time But that was like a weird, God, this is just like, you forget sometimes how much you use the internet for random horseshit all the time throughout the day when you're like, oh, I wonder what the weather's going to be and where I would live, like I don't have particularly good 3G connection. So it's just stuff like that of, oh, I can't really check. I don't know what the weather's going to be like in three hours because I can't, it doesn't, my app won't (laughs) update. Um, So it was a weird couple of days with like weird random things just weren't working but other than that i've had a good time i uh spent spending a lot of time playing genshin impact by also partially because the internet was down for about six hours and so i couldn't play genshin impact on friday i um finished up the ghost of tsushima dlc that i had been playing a little bit throughout the week had kind of fallen off of a little bit because genshin impact 2.1 came out and then God was like, hey, you should just finish this fucking thing up. Here's five hours where you can't play Genshin Impact. Do something else. It's like, well, I've got this download. Um, and and the Ghost Tsushima DLC is very good. It's not the kind of DLC that, like... Um, it's not, like, Blood and Wine, Witcher 3 level, or something like that. I wouldn't say it's, like, one of the better or best DLCs I've played. But it's, like, a really solid kind of vertical slice of the game um, where you go to an island that has the new island that has kind of a full selection of all the different things from the game. There's a couple of like outposts that you can attack. There's random bamboo strike thingies. There's like pillars of honor. There's like a shrine where you do your platforming challenges. So there's not a huge amount of content on this island, but it is a nice selection of like everything the game has to offer as well as a story that kind of is about... Um, Gene's father If people played Ghost of Tsushima You might remember that his dad was killed The main character's dad was killed In front of the main character When he was like 14 years old or so Um, And that's a pretty big element of his backstory That informs a lot of his character And this DLC is about going to Ikishima Which is the island where your father was killed Because they were there as part of like a subjugation mission for all these like raiders and pirates and people that lived on this island and the story is about gene sort of realizing oh this was not some sort of like noble thing that the samurai were doing and going here and like saving the island or something it's like no you're going to this place where people lived and killing them um and that's why your father was killed was because he was part of that kind of mission so it's him learning those kinds of things and kind of trying to come to terms with that kind of backstory element that fits pretty nicely within the, the story of ghosts of the base game, because the DLC, from what I understand, you can either play it obviously after you finish the game um, with like a completed game file, or you can also play it after part two, I think is when it opens up. So if you're playing it through for the first time, um, the story is kind of written to slot in somewhere around there. So it's not necessarily like a sequel type story, um, it doesn't have like a lot of specificity if you're looking for something that picks up at the end of the game it's not really that um, but it more just kind of slots in and fills out more of your backstory and that kind of stuff from that section of the game
0: nice we I, we should clarify it's not really dlc it's you have to pay the exorbitant director's cut upgrade price to get it on the ps5 if
1: you have a p if you just want the ps4 version you can just buy this thing oh i didn't know that okay yeah yeah, yeah so yeah if you want the ps5 version like the ps5 specific version of the game yeah then you there's like the upgrade it's like 20 or 30 bucks Something. it's like 30 that. bucks if you're on yeah. ps5 which i think is like a pretty decent price like it is a good chunk of content i probably took me like 12 hours to play through the whole thing um i
0: i have to say i i mean there's a larger conversation to be had here about sony's ridiculous upgrade strategies lately but like I was I have not got the Dretches cut yet because I was watching that Eurogamer video on it, and in terms of what they've actually added for the PS5 version, it's very close to what was already mm-hmm. there on PS4 back compati- backwards compatibility, plus this DLC chunk, and I it's just thirty dollars is a lot for that. Like it's not as I I don't know it's it's a lot. I I their whole strategy is doing it on a game by game basis is weird to begin with, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's that's been my only hesitation is maybe waiting for a sale or something. But yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's yeah it's definitely much more like you are you are paying for the DLC more than you're paying for like a big PS5 upgrade. Like there are some upgrades. It runs at 60 frames, which it did if you had the PS5 playing backwards compatibility. Anyways, like load times are faster. It I mean it basically load times are more or less non-existent now. They've just ripped out the loading screens. Just fades to black and fades back in. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot of. It's not like Spider-Man Remastered, where that is a pretty heavily retooled version of the game that looks way better, has ray tracing, that kind of stuff in it. The PS5ness of of this is pretty subtle. Overall, there's some nice stuff they do with the DualSense controller. Um, I particularly like the. There's some good haptic stuff around like your horse, and when you're like galloping on your horse, that feels nice. But it's not like a very dramatic huge kind of rehaul of the game so yes like obviously it should be a thing where you should be able to just get the extra little tiny bits and pieces that you would get um from the ps5 native version for free but it's also like it's like that part of it is not substantial the part of it that's substantial is just like the new content in the dlc so that's kind of yeah i guess like the way i felt when i bought it was i was buying that island not buying like a slightly higher resolution or whatever for ghost of tsushima
0: right it's just it's just been a weird thing they, they like sony has been having so much trouble landing on a strategy on this and now they, there was the whole i we're, we're not really going to cover it today but the horizon uh forbidden west debacle where they announced that there wouldn't be an upgrade path and they're like okay it's going to be free but from now on it's going to be 10 bucks after at some point they in the past it was free and i'm an xbox is over here looking at like you guys are fucking lunatics what are you yeah. doing
1: I think it's one of the things that the like seventy dollar price jump has like made it needlessly complicated, right? Because you can't just give it for free, because then you can't sell the seventy dollar PS Five version, because then there's just a like, sixty dollar version that is the PS Four and PS Five version, right? So that's yes, where it's just like, well, you, this is so don't reflective. do the seventy dollar yeah. thing. I mean, yeah. it's
0: uh, there's a pretty easy solution, like because I guess what confuses me is it's just the like you the the purpose of having an upgrade path at all isn't to make 10 bucks it's to get people to buy the ps5 that's where it's like like that's why xbox xbox doesn't do the smart delivery thing out of the goodness of their hearts they do it because they want people to buy a series x like I don't know it's a very weird business strategy to me that's not the point of this topic I'm glad to hear the Ghost of Tsushima stuff is good because I was also kind of I had not really heard anything about the the DLC so I was glad to hear you say it's good because because a lot of people have weird opinions about that game Uh, weird wrong opinions about how good Ghost of Tsushima is so if you say it's good I will play it
1: if 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 people somehow still are under the delusion that because Tsushima's game is about how like the samurai are good and like it's like yeah the samurai and honor and nobility and it's great It's like that's not what the base game is about That's very much not like this DLC is not about you going to this island being like god It was so great when my dad and all our the samurai boys came here and just <laughs> murdered all the people in their homes And burned their homes to the ground the story is very much about you being like oh yeah I guess it wasn't like Lord Shimura and the samurai being awful is not a new thing This has been a thing my entire life It's just I was a kid when it happened with my dad is kind of like the the, the journey that Gene goes on over the course of the story.
0: It is pretty fucking surreal to remember there was this whole discourse around Ghost mainly by people who hadn't played the game, like Polygon publishing editorials from people who had played like a third of the game and just and like never, never did like a retraction or an apology or anything like that. Just like just flagrantly like disingenuous, unethical (laughs) coverage of games.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that Ghost Tsushima, you know, it's there are some weird opinions about that game around its launch. I do think yeah. like I mean one thing that is nice is like you know, at this point now, looking back on it, goes to Tsushima is like such a wildly successful game that when this director's cut thing came out, like all of a sudden it's it was like charting again up like near the yeah. tops of the sales charts and stuff like that. So people like yeah. Ghost of to Ghost of Tsushima is good. And like this DLC, if you like Ghost of Tsushima, like this is a good new chunk of that game, and it's like just fun to go back and play it and ride around on your horse and just like enjoy exploring and being in that world because it's just really fucking good.
0: It's it's really fucking good, and I look forward to Polygon's upcoming upcoming editorial on Ron, where they have watched the first half hour of Ron and they criticize Kurosawa for saying that um, patriarchal monarchy is good. I, right. I think that's going to be a really good editorial. They're not going to watch the whole movie, just like 10 minutes, and they're going to write that. I'm never going to let that go. That was unacceptably stupid.
1: Yeah, no, it was, yes, <laughs> it was a very dumb, dumb article and a weird weird time where, you know, it's just you're incentivized to put out content analyzing stuff so quickly after the launch of the game because that's when people are going to be looking up coverage. But or it's you can have editorial like, standards.
0: Yes. You yeah. could. Polygon hasn't heard of those, but you could. You could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to make excuses. I'm sorry. I'm in a mood today. I don't know why. I've I'm tired. Um I drove like 5 hours yesterday. It was a lot. So,
1: did you drive right. 5 hours cuz your brother locked himself out of his own car and you had to get him his the only set of keys?
0: No, I was going to a wedding, so it was a it was a much nicer experience yeah. than, than yours. I'm sorry, Sean. I forgot about it's your okay. story. Yeah. Um my stuff though, I do have my my stuff is mainly Genshin Impact. We'll talk about that later. Um, but I did want to talk about my giant robots on film series that is happening every week now here at the university of Iowa, because this week, Sean, my dream has come true. I have taught Gundam at the university of Iowa. We did mobile suit Gundam one, the first movie. Uh, and it was quite the experience. I don't think my students were like in love with it the way you and I are. Obviously I didn't really expect them to be after one movie but they did like they were very engaged with it they were laughing in the places you should be laughing they were laughing in some of the places you shouldn't be but i also understand if you haven't watched a lot of anime before and then you see amuro get in the gundam and go you might laugh at that i do get it it's okay um and then we had a good little lively discussion at the end where i just sort of like we didn't have a ton of time we're gonna have more time with movies two and three so I sort of just opened the floor to questions, and people were interested in like a lot of the technical details of the universe, which at one point led to me drawing a little diagram of the Lagrange points. Um, so that there was funny, um, but yeah, it was good. They loved they loved Haro. Uh, they really liked Kai. When Kai is like making faces in the background, he was a big hit. I think they're gonna like movie two, uh, or be traumatized by it. Yeah, what happens to Kai?
1: Because they like Kai so much. When yeah, the worst thing that happens to him and the story happens, they'll be thrilled. It's just uh, it's yes. just the happy go lucky time with that boy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I you know um, it was an interesting it was it, here's the the funniest part of it though, Sean. The funniest part is I have watched so much Gundam. I am used to Yoshiyuki Tomino's directorial signature of having everybody just slap everybody every five minutes in a uh-huh. Gundam show. Yeah, they were not, and so early in that movie, you know, Frau Bo Amuro slaps her out of it to like get her to like wake up and run away. It's it's not an abusive thing He's trying to save her life right mm-hmm. um, And people were like, like there were gasps And like oh my god why'd he slap her of, And I'm just thinking in my head like Oh there's so much of this Because just in that first movie You have that you have Captain Bright Slapping Amuro which that is one of those Like that is such a famous scene it's the scene that's in Gundam Build Fighters where yeah. Say Is like reciting it but like I'm seeing it With this fresh audience and they're just Horrified at what Captain Bright is doing there um, you have Sela slaps Kai at one point. You have uh, Isolina's dad slap Isalina. And right. that's just the first movie. They're slapping everywhere. And uh, that was one of the funniest parts was all the reactions to the slapping. Um, and then, yeah, and then people were very mad at Amro's mother. They, they really thought she was very mean to Amaro, which, you know, it's fair. Um Amro has a tough time of it there
1: (laughs) yeah you know it's 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 hard I mean she hasn't seen her her son since he was a little kid and then he comes back home and he's a soldier it's you know it's like he's yeah like she doesn't respond to it in the best way possible but but it's it's that part's that part's fucking rough
0: yes yes so anyway it was fun I'm so excited to see the other movies and just see this and just go on this journey you know at the there was there was I loved that we had one question of someone saying what were they saying that like it's like I think Matilda said something about these the about Amro maybe being an Esper what's the other word and I ran over to the whiteboard excitedly and wrote new type in alt caps and I said keep that in mind there's more of this later um, you know that sort of thing uh, what else God there was one other thing I want to talk about that they were oh it was sort of interesting like Gundam 1 I think if you if you haven't seen like the full series there's some stuff that you would and, and even if you have seen the full series there's some gender dynamics at play in, in the original Gundam mm-hmm. that are a little outdated and that certainly we've talked about Tomino I think gets better at over time yeah certainly in like Zeta Gundam and double Zeta and stuff like that Um, so I was talking about that a little bit and then one person though I, this was my favorite comment we got really picked up on in that first movie and those that set of episodes there's a big running theme of like Amuro and talking about like what it means to be a man. Yeah. Um, and that word is in there a lot, and it's it's in that fight he has with Captain Bright. It's in what he says to Fraubo. Biggest laugh of the entire movie, by the way, was when Fraubo says she's gonna take the Gundam out, and um and, and that's what makes Amuro like, wake up and like take the Gundam. And Amuro comes and puts a hand on her shoulder and says, Frau Bo, You can't pilot the Gundam That got a big like (laughs) laugh in the theater Which was funny Um, Because what he means is like you're not a killer Frau Bo, but it does also kind of Read as like you're a girl (laughs) Yes (laughs) you know it's Um, very
1: condescending Because then that's when it is immediately followed up With him basically saying this is what it means to be a man Be a man yes And you're like oh god Amro You precious boy why does this have to happen to you
0: But it was not lost on anyone that like That is not the movie saying this is what men do Right um, yeah. because because one uh, one woman in our class had had a really good set of comments about like picking up on all the themes about like what it means to be a man and then she noted like and then Amaro goes home and he has that doll that looks like Pinocchio which is the whole thing about a real boy and made this connection and I'm like I love this class you're really watching it this is great so I'm having fun had a, had a good question of someone saying like what's up with that char guy and I'm like you'll find out you'll find out and they're like why did he what was he doing to garma and I'm like You'll find out. <laughs> so I am excited. It's fun.
1: Yeah, it turns out Gundam makes for good discussions, I think, is something that we've certainly learned over the past two yes. years.
0: Yes. I was just I was just you know hopefully it would also make for good discussions in this very different classroom sort of setting um with a lot of students from you know a lot of different backgrounds and ages and stuff and uh it has so i will i will have more reports more updates once we get to the real meat of it because the first movie is only the tip of the iceberg oh yeah um you know we've only just met Ramba, Ral. there's a lot to go
1: there's there's a lot to go yeah all right you want to talk some genshin impact yeah, let's talk about some Genshin Impact 2.1. Genshin Impact
0: 2.1. We will probably freely spoil story points here just from the main chapter two, act three, what was added in 2.1. I have not played Raiden Shogun's character story yet, um, so probably not going to spoil that. Um, but if you don't want any spoilers, move ahead to the next segment. Uh, there's a time chart, as always. Um, but yeah, we're just going to talk about, freely about what we like about Genshin Impact 2.1. Um, I don't think there's as much to say here as with 2.0 because obviously a lot of the stuff that was good carries over. Um, but good God, Sean, it is. This is still so good. And having finished the main story today, I am blown away because I liked the Mondstadt story. I liked the Liyue story. This is such a leap. What I think mm-hmm. they did in Inazuma, like the production value, the writing, the like pacing of it, the momentum. It is such a great campaign. And then all this other cool stuff on the side. You go to so many cool places. Man, this it feels like this game is still, like, revving up in some ways. And it's so cool to see it evolve.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's awesome. It has just been... I, I love that they did it this way. Like, I feel like this worked for me better than the way they split it up in Liyue. Where with the Liyue stuff, they split... The main story was split into two pieces. And so you got, when the game launched... The entire leeway, like, landmass was there, but the story only went to, like, the halfway point. Um, And then you had to wait, you know, like, six weeks or whatever to get the second part of it. Um, Meanwhile, you have then explored the entirety of that whole continent, basically, by that point. Whereas here, them chunking it up by these islands, which there is still one more island that will be added probably in the next update. So there's still another chunk of, like, explorable area for the whole Inazuma region that's going to still be added but adding more here's two more islands that you get to go to and explore and then also you have like a big chunk of story and kind of pacing it out that way has been really nice because it's especially because I think it helps um, pace the the story that they've made that you get to go to Watatsumi Island and sort of start messing around there with Sanganomiya and all that stuff and then it gives you some space to spend some time just exploring that area of the map before you start continuing on with the story but yeah, I think this is this is like the best content they've done in Genshin Impact so far, which is saying something, you know, the game has been yeah. so fantastic all the way through. I think before this, I would have said that it's the Dragon Spine Mountain stuff um, and this like trajectory of them getting better and better at it, especially because at this point in the main story, they've kind of cleared through all the basic world building stuff that the Mondstadt and Leeway stories have to do. And this one just gets to so be its own big crazy story about this country and um its ruler and then your role in it and the traveler's sort of motivation starting to shift not a little bit away from it you being entirely motivated after trying to find your twin and you're getting more embroiled into like what is the right thing to do like in these places you're visiting like i think that's them weaving all those things together is like so satisfying um it's just fucking awesome yeah it's uh and this
0: and man the the second half of the story that we get in 2.1 is such a page turner i mm-hmm. i really you know i sat down i wasn't necessarily because i didn't know how much i had left but it was just once i was at a certain point it was just like this basically i started this morning from the point where you learn about what the fatui are doing with the evil visions that they're giving out in english yes. they call them the delusions um and i basically played from there to the very end and it's just such a page turner and you just want to keep going and there's so many cool gameplay moments like that's another thing that I think the Inazuma stuff has done better is Genshin Impact is always at least a couple levels up from like just a visual novel sort of thing you get in some gacha games Yeah um, But it is often primarily just dialogue cutscenes. you run around you grab something you do a little fight that isn't really hard or anything and then you keep going, and I think I remember like a lot of the Liyue story being that way, mm-hmm. um, and maybe dragging a little bit for me personally because I think my tolerance for just sitting through cutscenes is lower than than yours and some people. Um, but in Inazuma, I think obviously there's a lot of that. But A, the story is just A+, it's great. And B, I think they they mix it up in interesting ways. I really like some of the, like, domains they do that are more creative in terms of, like, their art direction and, like, how involved they are. Some of the, I mean, the boss fights at the end of this act are incredible and, like, very good and genuinely challenging um, in ways that maybe, like, you know, mix up my strategy in ways like the main story stuff doesn't usually make you do. Um, you just go to so many cool places. I felt like they they've paced this out to encourage exploration in all these cool ways and like get to know the land. Um, it's wild. it's it's the it's the best game I've played this year and it's part yeah. of a
1: game that came out last year. It's amazing. Yeah, no, it's it's utterly phenomenal because yeah, I agree that I think they've found a way to integrate like gameplay stuff better into the story because leeway definitely has that section that is fun. But it's very long of you with Jung Lee going around and like getting all the elements for the funeral um, for Morax, who you then later obviously find out is not actually dead because you are going with him to go prepare for his own fake funeral. Um, and that's like a funny bit because Jung Lee is a funny character, but it is this long section you wandering around and like talking to people. And here, I think they just do a much better job of breaking that up with more active gameplay elements and just doing little things like when you meet um yayamiko after all the stuff of Scaramouche happens and then she has you like train with like this like fake version of the raiden shogun or whatever like those little bits of finding ways to integrate some of like the combat gameplay and all that into a narrative beat is really really satisfying and then that all comes to i think ahead in the final conflict with you fighting raiden shogun for the second time or a i guess we can now call her um, in her sort of like mind palace or whatever and that then having all this great narrative momentum leading into it with like Kazaha gets that huge character moment and then you're in there and you're fighting her and it goes through the same cycle where you can't use your powers and then Yaimiko shows up and then you, everyone's visions that you resonated with in the first part of the story now like gives you the ability to actually fight her like that is really great kind of narrative and boss design coming together um in a way that I think they have struggled with a bit in previous story chunks um and yeah like it's just so elegantly done uh in this section of the story yeah absolutely i
0: have zero complaints, nothing but praise for this stretch of the story. I really love how they, they kind of tie it all together with you, you have spent some time with the Resistance and meet some of them and you have the whole arc with Teppu, that, or Tepe, yeah. that character who succumbs to the delusion. That is one of the most heart-wrenching moments in Genshin mm-hmm. Impact so far. And and the way they, they you, we talked about this last time, the way they continue characterizing the Traveler, the Tabibito, of when, like, when she for me it's a she sees You know Tepe like succumbing to this Thing and then like the anger which is like A new animation they've got for uh-huh. her And like Paimon being like oh my god What's going on and you just they, they really Let her be fully like personified Here and then you, you're going off like yeah I want to go kick some Fatui ass here uh it's it's really striking and good stuff and even though like the actual main story for the traveler has not progressed much at all in *Genshin impact so far she hasn't she's met her brother once but you know um the character feels like it's been on such a journey and they've they're finding ways in the stories to continue making that journey interesting um in just the best ways
1: yeah and there's a really great moment at the end of the story you know where they have their thing they've done at the end of all their major stories where you're kind of they give you a character to talk to that can just give you a bunch of like additional background and flavor kind of set up yes. where the next story is going this gets Yaimiko this time around um and she has this great moment where she kind of asks you what your like ambition is like what is it that you want to do and the only answer the traveler has is to find their sibling um because that's been your motivation so far and Yaimiko kind of laughs at that and says like but that's such a small kind of transient Thing like that's like and, and she Makes a comment that's like maybe that's why you haven't Been given a vision yet it's because That's as far as your ambition goes is to be Reunited with a family member um And I think that that's like a really interesting Beat to add to the story Because it has been a like Steady theme throughout the Unasimus stuff Is how fixated The Traveler is on that one Singular mission whereas there's All this stuff happening around them That they have the power to help With And the Traveler becoming much more proactive In that situation over the course of Inazuma, It makes me very excited to see when we get To Sumeru, the next uh, story chunk How, or then also Like the interim story chapters if they Handle it like they did with Liyue where you know Hopefully Dane's Life comes back and you get to do some Cool stuff there Um, If that theme continues on and the Traveler continues to grow because It was something I wasn't necessarily expecting from The game was them to kind of do that because Most games like this, the protagonist character Is pretty like Static um, because they're more of a like vessel for the player to kind of imagine themselves through and them characterizing the traveler more heavily like this is really cool
0: Yeah, and especially when you already have Paimon there I think I didn't have that expectation either because Paimon is the voice right? Mm -hmm. Um, But they're able to have Paimon be a character who is also growing and evolving and the traveler and that just makes it all the more rich um but there are so many great moments in this in this whole stretch i think the character who steals the show for this half of the story is definitely Ayamiko, um Mm -hmm. who is like the big new character. i guess you meet her in part one but you didn't spend a lot of time with her but she just she kind of steals the show she's great i love the voice actress it's it's a it's a great performance it's a fun character um obviously raiden shogun does some of the most badass things i've ever seen in a video game the sequence, the in terms of like this game, like just throwing down on cutscenes, this whole stretch has been really interesting to me mm-hmm. because there's that stretch where you fight um, the the Fatui Harbinger, signora. whatever her name is, yeah, signora and and you beat her, and so Raiden Shogun executes her, and that execution cutscene is like jaw dropping, yeah, um, like oh my god, this person's in my party now, holy shit, I'm unstoppable. Um, and then after that you have that scene Which is unlike anything they've done Where the traveler is walking down away from the castle And Paimon is talking But like everything's affected by the electricity And that is just such a great Like gnarly sequence that like Builds you into the next confrontation And then as you say you have the big scene where Kazuha has his big moment There's just so much good stuff
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely that in sequence That like, yeah, starting from you um, going and fighting Senora And that to me was an incredible moment Of I don't I'm not convinced fully That that character is dead because I feel like the character Is very popular in the fan base and like There's no way you don't Sell this character to people at some point Right like everyone loves Senora <laughs> She's like you know she's like this great Like kind of classic bad bitch kind of Character that the game doesn't have anyone Else quite like that um, and and I think everyone's just been assuming Senora is going to be a character that because this is pretty common in gacha games I've played, that you introduce a character in the story pretty early on that's really cool, everyone likes that character a lot, but then you don't actually make it a character that you can play as until, like, a year or plus later on, um, or this would be an even longer games so It it's like they didn't add her until you went to fucking Snesnaya or some shit, um, that you build up the anticipation of the audience to see, like, what is this character's gameplay like, like, what is that whole thing going to be? Um, so I think that there's still a good chance that they'll find a way to bring that character back to life because if, if you get into some of the deeper lore about her, um, she's kind of been brought back to life once in, or like not brought back to life, but she's she's from like 500 plus years ago and was frozen and it's a whole thing if you read the Crimson Witch of Flames uh, artifact set that's all about that character. Um, so there's a chance they bring her back. But there's also a chance that she's just fucking dead. And I like that you're kind of left there thinking it's like, no, like, like straight up, she might just have like, you know, taken a step too far. Um, that she got very full of herself in being able to handle the Venti and Jung Lee stuff in Mondstadt and Leeway. And it's like Raiden Shogun doesn't fuck around Right she's not this like freewheeling Fun happy god that's going around Playing music and (laughs) doing whatever that Venti And getting drunk and all that she's not This like goofy kind of guy Who's who's very kind of removing Himself from the situation like Jung Li, Who you know even before he decided To stop being the god of Liyue Lived like in a palace way Away from them and only interacted Once a year directly with Liyue this is Raiden Shogun Who like Directly commands And rules over The her own kingdom You don't fuck With this lady If she says She's gonna kill you If you lose the duel She's gonna just fucking kill you Um, And that's a pretty Shocking moment That I just didn't Think that they would Do that I just assumed The character would Run away and escape um, to, to fight another day And I think there's A good chance That the character Might be dead And that's Really shocking I'm I
0: loved that They did it that way I hope uh-huh. she's dead Just because that moment Is so good And yes. uh I like just in terms of building the Raiden Shogun's character, it is so fantastic. So let's talk about her. Um yep. your your goddess Miyuki Swashiro the Raiden Shogun. Um, I unlocked Raiden Shogun. Really, I got her on an actual like draw. I did not on a pity roll, nothing like that. I was going from my last roll in a banner was getting Yoimiya, so I had restarted the like ninety pity roll cycle. I got her in thirty wishes. It was great.
1: Um, got the you, Raiden Shogun. You were luckier than me. I did okay. end up spending money on the game to 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 get her, but I did I so I it took me I think I I must have hit, hit pity either I was like at eighty or ninety, um so I either hit pity or got right up to the edge, um but I did get extremely lucky with uh, Kujo Sada and I have her maxed out like I basically nice. only <laughs> got her I I did get one roll where I got two of her in one go and that's actually awesome because her const, her like max constellation is a pretty crazy ability that makes it so that she buffs other characters so she like buffs people's attacks as one of her main functions as a character and her maxed out constellation makes it so that any character whose attack she buffs it also increases their electro critical damage by 60 percent, which is obviously there as a direct buff for raiden shogun um, so I'm excited to kind of build her up And figure out a party with her in Raiden Shogun Because she's also really fucking cool That's one of those characters that you come through The 2.1 story and come out of that being like Man she fucking rules Like that wasn't her just buying like her own Like the Tenro Commission And going and all that shit like that was awesome and, and it's very satisfying when you get a good Chunk of story with that character And then you just like I mean I got seven Of her in like 80 or 90 roles Which is fucking ridiculous
0: Yeah Kujo is great I haven't played with her
1: yet but I do have her I had I got her like
0: four times or something I think Um, Not four times like maybe two or three because Sayu is the one on the Yoimiya banner I got a million Sayu Mm -hmm. And so I have her either maxed or like almost maxed out Um, and I was very happy to see Sayu in this story too Who has a delightful if small role I do want my Sayu character story she is so funny we need that please Um, So let's do that yes she's great um Raiden Shogun though I mean here's what's funny Sean getting Raiden Shogun was the first thing I did when 2.1 unlocked because when 2.1 came out I had my wishes saved up I got her I haven't really played with her yet though because I've been leveling her up and I didn't want to like put her in my party and start actively playing with her until I'd like seen more of her in the story um and so I have her at like level 70 I'm close to getting what I need to get her up to 80 um what I'm really waiting for right now is to get a better weapon I've actually been throwing because i had so many wishes left over i've been throwing them into the weapon banner which i've never done mm-hmm. um but her five star looked cool and i'm like eh, if there's any character i want their five star weapon for i'll make it this one I don't know if I'll actually get it, but I've been throwing some wishes at that.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, so one thing with on her weapon, um, so one if you get the Favonius Lance, which is one of the ones in the weapon banner, that's a pretty good weapon for her because she has a bunch of stuff that scales with energy recharge. So you really want to get her energy recharge really high because it increases her electro damage um, and that kind of stuff. But then also they've added a weapon called the Catch, which is like this trident looking thing from the fishing. Um, yes. And that is very specifically A weapon that is like made for her That that feels right. like it's like just the free to play version Of her five star weapon more or less So even if you yes, don't I'm... get yeah, The grass cutter um, Getting the catch also is a really good weapon for her Yeah I've been looking into that um, The problem
0: with that is some of the fish You need for that one are put in this spot Where there's all these fucking enemies in the middle of the water And I can't figure yeah. out how to get there And not die immediately So I need to figure that out You've got Yoimiya right? Yeah Shoot them with fire arrows. I mean, it's it's yeah. I need to figure out a good spot to be in because what happens is they just wind up coming over, and because water's everywhere, I just get frozen and thrown into the water, and then they all just like go boom, 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 and all
1: die. It's it's weird. It's been very frustrating. I have to figure that out. But yeah, because yes. yeah, I have yeah uh, because I have been because I've I mean I guess I've only used that fishing spot once because I don't I think it's maybe two or three days that fishing resets. Um, but yeah, I just found because that's you're talking about the one that's like
0: there's all these like In ship the masks yeah yeah
1: yeah That i just like climbed to the top of one of those ship masts and just shot them with some fire arrows on um, because yeah. it's all like cryo slimes but yeah so so but anyways back on to raiden shogun yeah so i i have been mainlining leveling her up i've got her at level 80 i'm most of the way to being able to push her over to that next ascension one thing i really appreciate is that that the amakumo fruit thing the one like the Random like world item you have to collect to Level her up you there are like a million Of those fucking they're everywhere it's so yeah. easy to Find those yeah. yeah I think they're like the Only other one that is easier to get I think is The chili ones that you need to do For shanling because like those There's multiple different fruits on Each of the like the nodes that you get Um so I yeah I feel like I have like A hundred of those things I have like Way more than I need even just to get her to that last Ascension which is like very nice Um but Raiden Shogun fucking is rad as fuck. I think that's like the best way to describe the character. Cause I've been using her pretty actively in my party. I'm using while I'm just going up around and like exploring random stuff. I'm kind of finishing up Serai and Watatsumi Island. Um, and she's a really fun character because her whole dynamic as a character is about like creating this cycle where she buffs people's elemental burst or you're like the ultimate Characters have she increases Their damage based on how much energy Costs so if it's like a character that Uses up a lot of energy to use their burst She makes it even more Powerful um and then When characters use their elemental Bursts it then starts filling in basically this meter for raiden shogun that then makes her burst which is when she switches to sword mode and fucks everything up with lightning it makes hers more powerful and then when you do damage with hers it then provides energy for the rest of the party that then starts refilling their meter so it's this like awesome cycle if you set up a party well where you are like constantly buffing everybody's ultimates and then re- and then using that to then make her ultimate as powerful it can be pop hers and then start recharging everyone else's and you can get in this like cycle where it just feels like you're the only thing you're doing is just using everybody's elemental bursts over and over and over again um and that only usually works if you're fighting a lot of enemies because it regenerates way more energy but it is very satisfying when you get into that cycle um and start buffing all the characters that way uh it is a very she's a very She's a very different character they don't have Another character in the game that operates quite like that And it's very fun trying to kind of figure Out how to build parties around her and make Her work that way
0: yeah It's so I haven't used her I Like I said I haven't played with her yet but I'm excited To because I've basically Rebuilt my entire team over The course of 2.0 and 2.1 like Mm -hmm. Coming into 2.0 I was often Using a team that was Diona Hu Tao um, uh, Waterboy I'll Xing never Xu. remember. And, uh, and Beidou. And that was sort of my main team. Beto is still there. But I have replaced... I have uh, Kamisato as my like main... Mm-hmm. Kamisato is just so ludicrously powerful. Yeah. I love her to death. I love going over water with her and her freeze powers. She's my favorite. She's. I love her. That actress, Hayumi Saori, uh, they just announced is going to be Yamato in One Piece, which is the coolest casting news ever, because I'm hearing her every day in this mm-hmm. now. And I mean, she's great. We've talked about her on every Gundam episode for like a year now, yeah. I feel like. Um, she's in everything. But anyway, so I'm loving her. I've got i i replaced Tao with um yoimiya because yoimiya is really cool and i've never really used a arrow user who was like an actual damage dealer yeah um and she's just she's so much fun she's once you have her leveled up she can be
1: crazy powerful yeah loving she, that like yeah her synergy with ayaka is really fun because yes. the, I, the thing i like doing is using ayaka's burst where she fires that giant like Blizzard ball or whatever at enemies and then Switching to Yoimiya and then just like shooting fire Arrows into that while it's doing damage It is very ridiculous Because Ayaka's elemental burst is already Just stupidly fucking powerful Stupidly powerful and then you Just shoot fire arrows into it too and just get All these like melt element reactions Going off at the same time it's great It's great. So my brother uh, is playing Genshin Impact a bunch now
0: and we've been doing co-op mode and the way it works since he's at a lower world level than me I can only go into his world he can't come into mine Mm -hmm. but I go into his world and I can still do like the electricity boss that you need for um, Raiden Shogun and I can still get basically the same... I, I think I get worse artifacts, but I don't care about those. I care about the like the, the electric pearl or whatever you have to get. Uh-huh. Um, and so I do those with him. But I just bring in Kamisato and Yoimiya, and I kill that thing in basically one hit. I do a burst with Kamisato, and then I switch over to Yoimiya. And my brother's like, I just got here. What did you do? <laughs> it's very fun. Um, but yeah, so I have them. I got Mona uh, in the same banner as Yoimiya. Uh, and so I have fully leveled up Mona Mona kicks fucking she's, ass she's I love Mona good. yeah super good and like works really well with those two other characters and then in that last spot I've had I've had Beidou I've had the the protagonist sometimes in the game as well I've, I've put them there like my electricity slot is mm-hmm. always that like bottom arrow um, but I'm going to put Raiden Shogun in there and I think she's going to work really well with this new team I'm
1: building yeah Raiden Shogun synergizes really well with Umiya in particular because Raiden Shogun's skill is that um, it lasts a really it lasts like twenty five seconds and its cooldown is only ten seconds so you can basically have this skill up infinitely and it just makes it so that whenever you do damage on an enemy she kind of it's such an awesome effect where she like rips open like that kind of portal thing she right. does and it just does like a big lightning slash on them wherever they are. So like with Yoimiya, when you're shooting fire arrows at them, those sword slashes hit them basically as soon as your arrow hits them. There's no like projectile. There's no way for it to miss as long as the initial arrow has hit. Um, and then that causes overload, which is lightning and fire, which then explodes and knocks the enemy into the air. And then you just keep pelting them with arrows and then they keep on getting lightning explosions. Um, it is, yeah, that, that combo is incredibly fun. Because I've been running around a little bit with a party that has Yoimiya, Raiden Shogun, and Xingqiu. Um, and getting using his elemental burst that shoots the water swords, and then yes. having Raiden Shogun's skill open, and then shooting people with fire arrows. And so they're just getting pelted by like all these projectiles and exploding <laughs> from lightning. Um, it is an incredibly fun way to just like basically hit enemies with what it feels like a fucking missile barrage from you know like 50 feet away and just watching them explode and fly off into the distance. And it's incredibly fun. Yeah,
0: I've been I've been having a blast because this is like the most I've completely remade my my main team. Obviously, I have plenty of characters, so I can I could have multiple teams. But like this, this just like main my main running around team is what this has become. And soon with Raiden Shogun, I'll have an all five star team, which is fun. I, I had many fewer five stars when two started, so I've uh, I've had a good time, and uh, it's it's been such a blast. But I want to talk about some of the new areas because the new two new islands mm-hmm. are fucking sick. The island where Sangonomiya is When I like got over the crest And you see Sangonomiya's domain With like the big pearl sort of th- I don't even know what to call it The big like clamshell thing yeah. I just in the middle of my living room went Holy fuck Because it is such a cool visual It feels like an even more imaginative version Of like a Zelda Zora's domain or something yeah. It's so cool
1: Yeah, that Yeah the design of that area is awesome I love the kind of the lore of that area, uh, which I hope they like dig even deeper into in the future, is that the Sangonomian people are like in their like deep ancestry are actually there. It's almost like they're like Atlanteans or something like they were from under the water um, and they were imprisoned there by some evil god and then the giant snake god that eventually turns maybe turns evil but either way like raiden shogun kills him on that one island that snake god freed them and brought them to the surface and made the the watsumi island for them and so that's why it's all like coral and giant shells and stuff is because the snake god built that island for them so that they could live on the surface again um and there's a there's a couple of quests that deal with some of that lore on that island and it's just like such a it's, it's something I've continually felt, particularly in Inazima, is that they are getting even better and better at building that kind of story stuff into the environments themselves and being able to see, oh, this is this giant gorge where that is the finishing blow that killed this giant snake. This is this island that is, like, built out of, like, giant pieces from, like, the bottom of the sea that is cobbled together and floating up here. Or, like, the Seidai island has its whole, like, thing with the thunderbird or whatever and the giant it's, it's lightning pillar crater storm in the middle of it um, all that stuff's like so cool to read about and like unravel and just explore and kind of like marvel at this really fantastical design they put together because all five of the islands we've seen so far are so distinct from one another um, it's really cool being able to visit and explore each one
0: absolutely it's what's made Inazuma so cool and then what I love about these two new islands is so Watatsumi Island has its own sort of little quest line Where you have to go to all the different shrines Mm -hmm. And like restore them And that's really fun And a lot of good stuff happens there You meet the the Neko god and all of that It's great And then then you have the other island The mountainous one I forget it's name Um, Serai Serai where you have of course the new electric boss that you need for Raiden Shogun and that is one of the coolest world quests in the game Mm -hmm. where you have to go find all these uh you have to like clear these electric uh, things and it takes you higher and higher up and then the final stages of the quest are climbing all the way up into the heavens that is one of my favorite things I've done in Genshin Impact that feels like an
1: even better version of some of what they did on Dragon
0: Spine it's so cool
1: And I really like that they don't that you don't just like you don't fix the like infinite storm or whatever that's up there You make it so that when you're on the island at the ground It's easier to travel because you don't have like the lightning damage or whatever but they, but I like that they didn't sort of take that crazy storm in the sky away from the island when you clear that quest because yes. it it is one of the coolest looking things in the game. Like it's it's a like it's not quite bungee level, but it's starting to approach bungee level of like skyboxes that just look red as fuck, and I want to be on like the back of an album or something like that. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, yeah, it's just got a yeah, it's a very cool aesthetic, and yeah, that feeling as you're ascending these like floating. Um, rocks in islands and, and it makes the best use of that kind of zipline mechanic they added in um, for the Inazima exploration stuff. Um, I agree that that's one of the cooler um, world quests they've done.
0: And just, man, having two new islands to run around and open the chests and do all the puzzles and all of that, one of my favorite things to do in this or any other game. And because both of these islands are just so unique, it just adds this extra layer of, like, figuring stuff out and figuring out traversal. Um man Sean it's just like every time there's new content it feels like such a like invitation to wonder and I love that I love when a game can give you that feeling and really just let you kind of like awe at a space it's so neat
1: yeah yeah it's just the sense of the world is so fantastical but it's also very lived in right it's got this like real sense of history and like you know that they've thought through the all the elements and where people lived and where there were cities and that kind of stuff um, thinking about puzzles, Jonathan, have you have you found the Sudoku puzzle that's in the game? No. What? There's, there's a Sudoku puzzle. Um, I'll, I'll just say that because you'll you'll eventually stumble on it. It's fucking. When I realized that that's what it was, I was like, "Wait, is this just Sudoku?" And it and I had to I had to I had to physically get a piece of paper and a pen to try to like do the puzzle because I couldn't do it in my head. And it's been a long time since I was trying to solve a puzzle in a game, and I had to like. Use use like actual writing And like sit down and think about it And it was very cool Is it that like
0: nine square puzzle on Seirai Under the thing
1: Um no it's not No that's a different one
0: Okay because that one I just kind of figured out by running around and experimenting with But okay Okay I'm excited I need to yes. find this okay. okay It's out there cool. somewhere Sudoku <laughs> is out there waiting for you Jonathan I uh, I love Sudoku If you if listeners don't know so That's awesome that's awesome all right what else from 2.1 do you want to
1: talk about uh the, the, going back for the second to Raiden Shogun we didn't really talk about like the big kind of reveal for that character which is that there are there are two Raiden Shoguns or two Raiden Shoguns yes. I don't know how you pluralize that but Raiden... Raiden's
0: Shogun yes I think
1: you do it it's like Attorney's General exactly um and so you have the sort of the puppet or whatever you have this you know simulacrum that is the physical Raiden Shogun that you interacted with for most of the story um, that I think like is supposed to be the one that is like actively in your party, running around and doing Shogun shit. Um, but then in this sort of like the plane of eternity or whatever they call it, you have her actual sort of like spirit and consciousness, um, which is A, um, who was one of a two goddesses, which they've kind of like hinted that this was something in some of the trailers and stuff. But because it's also something we've known for a while, is that the original. Ro- god of lightning is dead um because the only two original of the seven that are still alive the seven that like won the archon war and established the current system of governance with the seven countries and all that the only two that are from that original seven that are still around are vinti and zhongli so we've known that all the other ones have been replaced at some point but we don't know how or why um and so that's something i was really curious about going through the story is like who was the previous electro archon like where did like what is that it's like this really big piece of like the history of of this whole section of the lore that had not been filled in and that revealed that they were twins and you had makoto who was the like actual governor um and then you had a who was like the the kage musha right so she was like behind the scenes and was her body double um and then eventually during the cataclysm makoto is killed so a replaces her as the electoral archon but nobody else knows other than you and like yaimiko Um, That it's not the original one And the other gods obviously know Like that whole dynamic Is such a fantastic reveal And then it also just gives You know if you're someone who loves Miyuki Swashiro which obviously I do It is such a gift to be like And now you have two You have two Miyuki Swashiros (laughs) in one character Because you both get like Badass queen Miyuki Swashiro Which is Raiden Shogun and is like the very intense Very stern one And then you also get the much more kind of like Gentle one Although A has The part of like What you see in her When you do her character story Is like Raiden Shogun Obviously comes from her So A still has that stern side She just doesn't show it All the time Um But she has this much more Kind of gentle More composed Um More elegant Like way of speaking And stuff like that Uh And that is such a cool Reveal And then when you go Into Raiden Shogun's Character lines You know And her like Character profile What's fun is Trying to figure out Which Which Personality or whatever like which one is saying Which one of the lines because there are some from both Of them and like listening to her performance And like distinguishing the two characters that way It's such a inventive Cool weird thing To do that that I knew that there was going to be Something going on with Raiden Shogun But I did not I did not anticipate This and it is a very 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 Happy surprise for me
0: And we're not done with this yes character Because we meet another Fatui Harbinger the uh What do they call it? The... Scaramouche Scaramouche which at first I'm like are they doing like an Anthony Scaramucci joke in Genshin Impact? I don't think they are No, it's
1: all the all the Harbingers are named after uh, Figures from the Commedia dell'Arts So that's why you have like Tartaglia in La Signora (laughs) and Scaramouche in in all those
0: Um, No, that was just a stupid thing my mind went to But you have yeah Scaramouche and and that character is makes quite the entrance and then you find out That's the original puppet that the Raiden Shogun made and it like went berserk, and now we've got this, so we'll have to deal with that at some point. Fucking cool.
1: Yeah, it's such a, it's it's such a like pleasant surprise, right? It's just this thing of yeah. where you've known that there has to be something else, because it's, it's something I said I feel like multiple times on the podcast, because I've been like fascinated by it. Of like we had just not known what Raiden Shogun's name was for the longest time, and in the game, she's still just called Raiden Shogun, like when you put her in her, your party and stuff like that. Um, And for and when I saw That that like when there was like trailers And stuff where you could see her and like see The UI and stuff and I saw that they were just she was just Called Raiden Shogun I'm like Is that is that just her name like does she just not Go by a name Um, and it's cool That there is like there's like a Very real explanation for why they were like Treating it that way Um, yeah Yes she's just she's just such A fucking awesome character Um, Do you feel like you got your Miyuki Sawashiro's worth out of this Absolutely. I've, I've, if anyone who has Ryden Shogun, or if you're, you know, you can just go online and find the voice lines. But I highly recommend going into her voice lines and her character profile. You don't even need to have any friendship to get some, like, some really good ones. Because I think it's the one she has for, like, sunny weather and the one she has for rainy weather. Those, that's some fucking primo, Miki Swashiro If you want to get, like, goosebumps because of, like, how strong her vocal performance is, just listen to those two. Um, Because it's really that is like the first thing I did when I unlocked her because I I, (laughs) I immediately went to this like I got to listen to these story these character lines I just gotta I just gotta hear these because there are so many of them We're so like spoiled with Genshin Impact because that thing of having character profiles where you can go and listen to unique lines of dialogue that actors have recorded that's a like trope in gacha games like every gacha game basically does that. Because for most gacha games, that's the only place where you get voice acting that's not their, like, combat lines or whatever. Um, So it's, like, one of the ways that the Japanese market can sell these characters and saying, here's the Jaime Saudi character, and here's, like, she spent 10 minutes in a booth recording. Here's, like, two or three pages of, like, what's my favorite food? What's my blah, 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 like that kind of stuff. What's awesome about Genshin Impact is you get that. Genshin Impact has more of those even than the average gacha game, so you get a lot of that. And then you also get... Here's, like, an entire story with, like, a fully voiced character that has more voice acting in it than, like, your average JRPG. Um, So if you are like me and you're, like, a big fan of, like, the seiyuu and that kind of thing and, like, the Japanese voice acting industry, um, and especially if Miyuki Swashu is your favorite voice actor, this is just, like... (laughs) It's, like, it's fucking ridiculous how much they spoil us on this stuff. Yeah. So is her story pretty good? Yes. Yeah. I liked it a lot. It's very... It, it, it's very satisfying because i'll say it is mostly a and that's like very cool because you it's that's like the one you want to get like the most insight into and it's very fun yes
0: yeah because they specifically kind of leave some stuff hanging with her uh-huh. in the main story to be resolved there so i'm excited for that uh fishing they added fishing to genshin impact it's yep. delightful on the ps5 it uses the fucking adaptive triggers yep. which is awesome uh, I love it. We're just coming closer and closer to Genshin becoming the Ur video game. At some point, they're going to add a full farming simulator, and Stardew Valley is going to weep. It's going to be great.
1: Yeah, eventually, it'll be, They'll also add Sim City, and you just build your own. You <laughs> become a god, and you build your own city. You know. What we don't um, know about Sumeru is that it's the roller coaster tycoon world. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I mean, that's what they're studying. The academy is just how do you make better and better yes. ro- roller coasters. Um, Yeah fishing it's like good Um, One thing I love about When they keep adding these kinds of systems Is it gives just like Another one of those like random Passives you know how every character has a Passive that just does something like Oh when you craft this item you have a 10% Chance to get double whenever they Add these kinds of like random world Kind of systems it just gives them another Thing of like and then this character is really Good at fishing and like that's some Of the stuff I love I love having Characters, it's just like, I don't really use this person that much, but every once in a while it's like, oh, you know, like Aloy, because who they also fucking add to the game, she can like sneak up on characters. I think Say Sayu also can do this. So like the butterflies or whatever won't fly away from you if you need to get those materials. Like all those little kind of like world passives I love. And I'm very excited for whoever's gonna be like the fishing character who makes it so that you can fish super well. Um, because it's just a nice, relaxing, extra little thing you can do in the game. I would guess it's either... We're getting Sangonomiya next time, and then who else? Um, so I think Sangonomiya is going to be the only new character in the the second half of the banner. Okay, okay. So eventually... Maybe she'll have some fishing stuff, yeah. yeah. Like, I know the i think the rumor is that toma is going to be in the next update um i haven't like looked at because whenever a new update comes out the subsequent update goes into like a beta that private testers have access to so usually you start getting some leaks about what the next update is i haven't looked at them but i think i saw somewhere people saying oh toma is going to be in the next one so maybe maybe toma is really good at fishing i don't know
0: well we'll find out anything else to say about genshin before we uh go on to some
1: other stuff it's fucking great i love this game i'm very i'm very happy with my lightning god voiced by Mickey swasher thank you very much uh seconded i agree
0: let's talk some marvel um sean we have not talked to marvel on the show in a while because the world ended um we're still alive everything's terrible but marvel stuff started coming out again this year Um, And mainly it's been Disney Plus stuff so they have had three shows They've actually had a fourth What If that looks like The cheapest piece of shit I've ever seen and I don't Like it so we're not talking about that because it's bad But we're going to talk uh, Don't Um, (laughs) We're going to talk about WandaVision Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki I think people know my thoughts on these Sean uh, your quick Like overall reactions to these three Big new Marvel shows
1: Go I think they're generally pretty good. I think I like, um, I think I, I definitely like Falcon and the Winter Soldier more than you, John, because like, I didn't like dislike it. I think it's the weakest of the three, um, but I enjoyed it. It's the one that is most like a, it, it is the one that is most like watching a live action version of an ongoing monthly superhero comic book series in both good ways and bad ways. Um, so that one's like, okay, not great, but like I, I enjoyed it for the character stuff. WandaVision. I suspect I feel the same way about WandaVision as everybody, where it's like you have the what is it, like the first seven episodes. Basically everything up to the penultimate episode, I think, is like generally pretty great. Like the sort of experimentalism of the like sitcom styles and all that stuff is awesome. It's like a cool, fun mystery, but that is really about exploring like these characters and dealing with um themes about grief and themes about like the ways in which we use media. To process the world around us or sometimes escape into media um, Because we can't process the world around us I think that stuff is really good And then it's a superhero thing So at the end you have to have a supervillain And you have to fight them with Scarlet Witch magic And that stuff is like not that great um, It's like it's 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 something where I don't like You know I don't hate the show for it Because it's kind of you can see it coming from a country mile Like it's such an inevitable thing that's like and then the punching has to happen uh, because it's experimental but it's not WandaVision is an experimental superhero thing but it's not that experimental right it's not going that far off the deep end it's still super high budget it's still Marvel um but we get like a lot of really great stuff leading up to it and then Loki is I think easily the best of these three Loki basically feels like um the like super high budget um American version of like Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who more or less um it's like you know it's very tiny, wimey dealing with the multiverse. Uh, you get some really phenomenal core performances from uh, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. Any time those two characters are together is fantastic. I think I I just finished watching Loki last night, so I'm not totally settled on how I feel about the ending. Um, but generally speaking, I think that that Loki is the most successful at both having really interesting character stuff that pulls you through, while also having really compelling and well-structured larger plot elements. Um, that I think those bigger plot things are things that WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier both struggle with a lot
0: Loki's also the only one that I think really works as a TV show like it's six episodes They know what each episode is. There's a clear division. There's not like the filler There's not like like Falcon and the Winter Soldier is a two-hour movie that inexplicably got stretched to six and I let me just give my initial, okay, my yeah. thoughts In case people don't know Falcon and the Winter Soldier is far and away Easily the worst thing Marvel has ever made um, There is one good episode Which is the fifth and has some good stuff in there That is then immediately shit on by the finale Which is so bad I'm amazed Disney let it out the door Like it is so ineptly directed It is so ineptly written It is so naive that Even the costume design is terrible in that one Just bad 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 um, It's called the Falcon and the Winter Soldier And it forgets about half of that um, Bad 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 show um WandaVision has some really good stuff I think the first couple of honestly I wish WandaVision was just what the first two or three episodes was which is just different pastiches of sitcoms because I think that stuff's really funny I think when it moves beyond that there's occasionally some really good stuff I think the penultimate episode which is all about like Wanda's inner world grief stuff is very good and has some really good scenes Um but it is nine episodes is too many episodes because there's some where nothing happens uh and then the finale is also terrible uh it's badly directed it's uh it's it's just a I don't I don't really mind having the big superhero punch out but I would like it to be good and it's not good um and it also is just such a fundamental betrayal of the themes of the show and it completely abandons the ideas of like trauma because it just kind of lets Wanda off with like you traumatize the whole town by Um, And they forget about that and then it's mostly Concerned I mean this and Falcon and Winter Soldier are Both primarily concerned with setting up future Marvel stuff Um, they don't end their own stories And then Loki I think is just Great all around I think it's phenomenally written It's phenomenally acted it's visually Really strong it's beautifully directed It's so wonderfully Performed I think it it does Wind up setting up some future Marvel stuff But it is much more concerned with actually like Concluding some of its own character arcs I think where it takes Loki as a character i really was wary of loki because i thought they'd kind of done loki and i didn't know if we needed to like do this like new timey wimey version of him from a different timeline and all of that and instead i think it's by far the strongest stuff they've done with the character in the mcu so um i really liked loki and uh yeah loki loki is like in my top tier best stuff marvel's done
1: yeah i i I think i definitely like wandavision and falcon the winter soldier more than you i think like part of that is also i went in with like relatively low expectations and then i also watched them over the course of a couple of days rather than watching one episode a week so like i think yeah i because i will definitely agree that loki is the one that like as a tv show its episodic structure is i mean a million times better than certainly the falcon the winter soldier um and wandavision has like some good episode structure in like early on and then it starts losing it because it has a hard time figuring out how to integrate the like a like top level plot stuff in with the rest of what it's doing um but i think like as a like binge watching experience like they're they're like fundamentally enjoyable shows in that marvel way of i really like the characters right like i really like the core cast of all three of these shows a lot um and that carries me through the weaker stuff in wandavision and Valgon the winter soldier and then, and then Loki doesn't have much that's weak about it that needs to be carried through. Um, so it's like it has this really strong, really likable core cast, and then it has this really fascinating like, larger plot and themes that they're working through at the same time um, that makes it much more successful than the other two. Yeah, I mean, Loki Loki not only doesn't have like downtime,
0: it, if anything, could be longer. Like, it's the one of these I could imagine being more episodes and having more seasons, and it's been renewed for a second season. They're doing more Loki. Um, which makes sense it's it's the one that feels like it has an engine to go forward because yeah. like Falcon and the Winter Soldier is just it's either it's a prologue to Cap 4 or it's what Cap 4 was going to be and then they made it a show and then WandaVision is in this very weird no man's land where it is at one time wants to be an episodic fun thing like that and then it also wants to be a Marvel movie. And I don't think you can... I think ultimately the show doesn't know how to mix those two things. Because I don't think you really can mix those two things. Yeah. And that's where it stumbles. Um, but yeah. So do you want to dive in and, and talk about these in order?
1: Yeah. WandaVision.
0: One. I mean, okay. So for WandaVision, obviously the good stuff about WandaVision, first and foremost, is Wanda and Vision. Elizabeth Olsen is great. And Elizabeth Olsen is so amazingly versatile in this series. Mm-hmm. That is, like, clearly the main joy of this show is watching her do so many styles as well as having like the main heart of this character that we've seen in the movies but explored much more deeply and then Paul Bettany who I will watch in anything I just think Paul Bettany is one of the most delightful actors in the world and he has he just mostly gets to have fun in this series as Vision in these different scenarios and he's great and then when they do call upon him to do deeper you know more emotional things he's Paul Bettany he can do that and they have great chemistry Obviously, WandaVision could be significantly worse than it is, and I would still have enjoyed a lot of it because of those two.
1: Yeah. it's it's the thing that I think in many ways I most as as like a fan of like this Marvel stuff in general, but then also specifically someone who really enjoys the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff, like these two characters have been so like Done Dirty is like too much. It's more this like they just haven't been done enough, right, in the movies. Right. They they just were on the edges of the Avengers movies in, in civil war. And the, I think they, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany in particular, cause Paul Bettany also has a longer history is also Jarvis in Iron Man. Like they're both good and enjoyable and they like nail their characters. It's just, they were not given a huge amount to do until like infinity war. And the main reason they were given a bunch to do in that movie uh, is because fucking fortune vision has to die at the end. Right. Um, and that moment is very effective. But it's always felt like these characters needed a story of their own but at the same time like I don't know how you would do a Marvel movie style big budget superhero movie starring Scarlet Witch and Vision like it's just they're not like they're not superheroes like Captain America or Iron Man. It's like you'd have to go a little bit more into the Doctor Strange territory. Um, And so you'd have to make a much more kind of esoteric movie. And so it's not I think particularly straightforward how to do that as a like two hour film so this choice of going for a tv show and then also i one thing i really appreciate about WandaVision um is that a lot of those episodes are like 25 to 29 minutes long they end up with longer episodes and they typically the longer episodes are some of the weaker ones um but it's nice just of like being able to say let's get in let's do our like sort of big concept of the sitcom thing but then let's use that as a space to like explore these characters that we just didn't get to see enough of and give these two really good actors some really interesting material to play with uh and and that is to me the the thing that I I think come away from enjoying the most from the show is just feeling like I got to spend time with these characters I always wanted to spend time to and you just never could by watching the movies
0: yeah, totally. That is that is definitely the, the main draw, and I think the the TV format that they do with it is the most... Like, that's the reason you do the TV format thing, really, is, like, they they have the whole thematic side of it um, with Wanda's sort of grief processing, and some of that is very effective. But really, the reason you do it is because Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are very versatile actors who can do all of this pastiche, and Matt Shackman, who directed this show... Is a very good TV director. He directed a lot of, like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He did a couple of good episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, I, he bungled the finale of this terribly. But other than that, he's very good at writing, like, all the, like, um, different sort of, like, tonal and visual shifts they do. Because it's also a more visually interesting show than you usually get from Marvel. Because um, they get to do all these different. Like, I love the first two are in black and white and they look really good. And I'm like, I would like more of that. Uh, when the, when yeah. the show like winds up being all digital It becomes flat And you know it's a Marvel thing shot with a red camera And I've seen a lot of that um, But yeah um, I like all of that On the outside world you sort of have three main characters You have the Teona Paris character Monica Rambeau You have Randall Park as Jimmy Woo Who was in the Ant-Man movies And you have Kat Dennings as Darcy from the Thor movies So very random assortment of characters uh-huh. Like you have one from Captain Marvel one from Ant-Man, kind of, but he's not really an Ant-Man character. And then you have Darcy, who was in the first two Thors and then was forgotten about, even though you and I both loved Darcy. Yes. Darcy was great. I don't um, think
1: there was a lot of space for her in Thor Ragnarok. Uh,
0: no, no, no. I yeah. th- No, she, but but like it's. I would have expected them to never bring her back. Do you know what right. I mean? Right, okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all. Um. And so I like that they brought these three together. I'm not... I liked tayona paris a lot and i just like her as an actress she she's in the new Candyman. she's great in that um i'm i was not sold by the end that the new captain marvel origin story really belonged in this story and like some of that like there's just a lot they're doing that's like okay please tell your please tell the wandavision story and stop telling me trailers for future marvel movies um, but I liked her And I think Randall Park And Kat Dennings together I If they want to do Like just a sideshow show With those two hanging out And solving mysteries um, I actually really want that That would be really good Like just a weird X-Files But with Darcy and Jimmy Wu. I would that's, that's a good idea They should do that yeah. Especially because They forget about them In the finale Like Darcy doesn't have Like an ending in the show She just disappears Which mm-hmm. was
1: sad Because I really like Kat Dennings yeah i agree that that it, it's something where those two characters of uh, uh jimmy and darcy bounce off of each other extremely well and in the monica and stuff is frustrating because the, it she is really good for that kind of first half of the show um and then it kind of feels it kind of feels like they were setting her up to be almost this like kind of like Deuteragnus kind of structure that she would then be like the protagonist of the real world side of the show. And then that would dovetail with Wanda and it kind of feels like what they were setting up at the midpoint. And then it's just like, there's absolutely no follow through on that concept. Like they, they sort of gesture towards it because she is dealing with the grief of losing her mother. And um, in, in, like in the snap and, and all that shit from, from uh, Thanos In a similar way that Wanda is having to do that With Vision but it feels like They never commit enough to the character To actually like make that Bridge like very kind of narratively Satisfying Um, But the stuff particularly I think the first episode When they bring Darcy in and she's trying to Figure out the broadcast And it's you know it's like set before the first episode And she has to get someone to bring her a a Tube TV and all that Um, I think like Kat Dennings it just like really Nails that kind of Comic relief It's that sort of Classic sentence She's the comic relief Character that also Is the one who kind of Is most reasonable And knows the most About what is actually Happening in the show Um, And she really Nails that role
0: I mean Randall Park And Kat Dennings Are literally both Sitcom actors Uh Randall Park did uh, Fresh Off the Boat Kat Dennings was in Two Broke Girls And And I, I think was a was a younger child star as well. They're not child, but like you know, preteen, like teen mm-hmm. star who did some of that kind of stuff. And so they just both know like those beats, and they're really good at it. And they like that's why you put them on this show. I so with the Monica Rambeau stuff, this is going to lead me to like the main problem with One Division. But I feel like since you brought it up, I want to bring it up here, yeah. Which is that I look, I love Catherine Hahn. Everyone loves Catherine Hahn. The Agatha All Along song is delightful and became memed for a reason. It was very funny but i don't know how much more fundamentally you could miss the point of your own story than what wandavision does in having it be about someone who is has been so hurt by the world by like actual like malicious forces and then also just natural processes of grief then becoming that force to other people which is what wanda does over the course of the show and the show is for most of its run very savvy about that and like not letting wanda off the hook about like how fucking awful what she is doing is but at the same time showing you the like mindset that gets her there and that's a re- that's a much more interesting character dynamic than you generally get in marvel movies where you usually have more black and white villains right mm-hmm. and that is so good and like very clearly to me and i thought this was going to be the focus of it with especially when they're setting up monica as the deuteragonist as you say is that where we were going is Monica's going to ultimately be kind of the more traditional hero of this story. Wanda's going to be the one who can't let go. And the ending is going to be Monica getting through to her. And if we're going to have our big superhero punch out at the end, you have your new Captain Marvel and you have Wanda and you have a big fight at the end and then they talk it out and then something happens. And they don't. They just pull the ripcord on their own story. And they have Catherine Hahn as Agatha come in and have just this rando come in from nowhere and be the new big bad and completely like push off all of the interesting questions because oh no there's a worse witch who's actually malicious knowingly and will do that and I, I just I'm I, I was really baffled that like that got out like as as a show that up until that point wasn't perfect but seemed like it had a really like clear grasp on its own themes and then just didn't just like utterly missed the point of its own story is is really baffling to me
1: i don't find it i like i think it is bad and it's like a bad narrative decision but i don't find it baffling like i think it's just like it's so much i just never believed that they would go the as hard on scarlet witch having to be effectively like the villain of the story as like they kind of need to um i just didn't think that they would do that and i actually like in some ways I, like, appreciate that they didn't make it something that it is that Agatha is the, actually the one responsible. Like, it's it's both, like, a it's a double-edged sword of where they are able to sort of retain enough of, like, the thematic stuff that they built for most of the show by still having, like, it is fundamentally, Wanda is the one who did this. It's not Agatha didn't, like, brainwash her or something um, to force her to do it. And that's what I was really worried was going to happen, is that, like, okay, then the antagonist comes in, and it's revealed that the antagonist is, like, actually the one who's responsible, and then you just kind of, like, are able to wash Wanda completely clean. More of what they do is, it's kind of a magic trick, right, of where it's like a sleight of hand thing, where... Wanda is still the person who caused all this stuff like it is still that story but then now you have this new character Agatha that comes in that she's not responsible for really any of the awful shit that has happened to this whole town over the course of the show but she's opposed to Wanda who's a character that you like um and you have you know an evil witch flashback and she's comically evil so you kind of like dangle that antagonist over here to distract the audience and make them focus on that while you then say it's like and then we're just going to not really address a lot of um that kind of final element of 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 wanda and kind of bring that character absolution or whatever you need to do with her and and it's this thing of where I prefer if they're going to do this and they were going to do this like I just didn't think watching the show I didn't see it ever going to the place where they would like actually nail Those themes because I just don't think that they would let themselves or the or the producer capacity would let them do it Um, I, I at least appreciate that. It's got this Victorian literature quality of it of like they know that like they can't nail it So it's like we have to have the wedding ending, which is basically what agatha's role is is to sort of say whatever like we we got to give it the fucking superhero ending let's just do it but you let enough of the interesting stuff sit and live through and through like and survive past the ending that at least allows you i think to kind of sit and have like the material you have engaged with with the themes that material still exists even if it didn't get the conclusion that it should have had in the show i just i just so
0: fundamentally disagree like i i get that like on a technicality you can read that into it but like the purpose of the finale gets completely overtaken with the pyrotechnics and Agatha and like you completely sell you, you lose Monica Rambo's point in the plot you lose that like d- uh, duality of the themes and I guess just my fundamental thing is you could still have had nothing was stopping them from having their big superhero fight and I just thought that's where it was going because it's it, it's like literally doing your narrative one plus one and then at the end saying equals three because you have the Captain Marvel of it all, you have that great scene where Monica like breaks through the barrier and like awakens to her powers and all of that stuff and really like people were lo- loving Teana Paris for that because it a, it's a really cool like superhero origin moment and then you go in and she has some kind of minor role but at the end it is put off to can Wanda defeat the other big bad witch not can can Wanda realize what she has done or can Monica really get through to this person and as a part of Monica getting through this person you could have had a big silly superhero fight where Scarlet Witch is sending out beams and Captain Marvel is flying around and punching them away that's fine and it's also I just I guess I also don't believe that that's not something Marvel could do this is the company that made Black Panther like this is the company that did Thor Ragnarok and had the themes about colonialism built in there and ended it with blowing up um Um, Asgard and that kind of stuff like this is a company that in the big like that has been able to do interesting ideas without sacrificing the pop register that they normally work in it's not what they do a hundred percent of the time but it is something especially near the end of that last phase I think even Infinity War does some of this of like actually kind of landing an interesting idea within that pop framework and WandaVision just pulls the ripcord on that so hard I found it very disappointing
1: yeah i think i think this is maybe one of the things of me basically binging it over the course of like three days makes it so it's like that stuff doesn't bother me that much of like i I just kind of felt like i think the thing i was worried about at about the midpoint of the show was this is not going to be wanda doing this this is going to be a villain doing because i have literally seen that plot twist so it's like in, in comic book form so it's like i was very worried oh god this is going to be Some character is mind controlling Wanda and forcing her to do this and she's Going to break free from the mind control and like That would be like the most Fucking limp wet noodle version Of the ending for this story And I think like it's Something that I at least like I Still very much enjoyed the journey along The way even if I think that that last episode Is pretty fucking awful Because I do think there's a lot of really Interesting things that they are able to Do with this sitcom format Um that almost maybe if you want to do your, like, like I don't really believe this, but you could do some crazy 4D chess ending and say that, like, the very, like, overly produced laser bolt generic superhero ending almost plays into this. But there's, like, this through line of the show as they're doing these sitcom pastiches that take place basically in a different decade in each episode of, like, pop media and sitcoms specifically, but, like, American pop culture media becoming more and more cynical as time goes on right so you start with the very very like genericized like leave it to beaver everybody's super happy blah 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 like you know white picket fence the husband works at the job job which is probably my favorite jokes are in that first episode vision trying to figure out what he actually does at his work because nobody knows what sitcom people do at their like generic sitcom jobs um and like as it goes on and on like like that kind of like the structure of the family becomes more chaotic the like nature of like the stories within the sitcom framework become less pleasant and it and they feel all naturally part of the parodies that they're playing like concluding with you know the office parody at the end right of like the modern version of the sitcom which is something that like is that you don't look at and see this like idealized vision of the american family but instead it is about characters who are like who cannot function properly in, like, normal society and are bumbling their way through ridiculous antics and are, like, in some ways almost, like, aware that they are doing those things. And that through line I found very compelling as this, like, broader sort of, like, stylistic experiment of tracing the ways in which our media has become, I think appropriately so, like, more cynical and more fractured as time has gone on in American history.
0: No, that idea is there. I, I do think... Over the so this it's the first seven episodes that do pastiches, yeah. and then eight and nine are are their own thing. And I thought the first three or four, I enjoyed the pastiches a lot. And then I think, especially, basically starting with episode five, um, where they, which is where they do like the the very special episode kind of thing. And then you have the Halloween special, which is like based on um, not not Family Guy, Full House. And then you have the Office one it's so vestigial like it's such a little sliver of the episode that is like concerned with so many other things I think they lose like one thing that happens is that Matt Shakeman loses the ability to be able to do the stylistic pastiche really alongside the like the full aesthetic pastiche alongside like what they're doing in the writing because you have to switch with the real world and then that has its own like Marvel widescreen aesthetic and all this stuff and that it 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 becomes so vestigial to me by the end that I found it almost distracting i Um, i
1: still think that those like it becomes more vestigial in the sense of that it's no longer an entire sustained episode that is in and of itself just basically a sitcom episode which is what those first couple are but i still feel like it's still a a significant part of the content of those episodes is doing that pastiche and like in some ways i think kind of like my favorite one uh, maybe this this is when i grew up but like the 90s one that is very like um Malcolm in the Middle, and, like, that kind of stuff, and it's very, like, um, chaos, like, the, that whole, the opening sequence or whatever, and you got Quicksilver is now there as, like, the dysfunctional uncle in the family, and it's the two kids, it's almost like a fucking, like, Disney Family Channel kind of show, um, like, I still think it is able to retain a lot of that energy, even if it's not doing the full, like, the full thing and just making the episode itself effectively an episode of that sitcom, because they're also because i don't know how you would do that and still have the a plot moving forward because the other side of that is that those first couple of episodes um that are like that you don't have that big kind of a plot almost at all um and i don't think that that's a problem for me but if you want to have the a plot like you can't keep doing it the way that those first couple of episodes were designed because it like that would not mesh together at all um is i guess kind of like how i see it it wouldn't
0: but at the same time, like, easily the most fun I had with this show was the first two or three. Yeah. Like, it, no contest. In my heart of hearts, I really want the version of this that didn't have any connection to, like, the Marvel shit and, like, the actual, like, human being story and is just is a different sitcom pastiches for fun. Like, that was what I was having fun with. And I, I don't know. Like, you're, I think you're right on the one that is, like, a 90s show. Because I hated that episode because I hate that style of sitcom so much and, to and it me, was that's a...
1: like part of the thematic <laughs> tapestry of what they're doing is like look at how like yeah. how both awful this has become but also it's like contrasted with the 50s thing which is like so and then the boss comes to work and we have the family dinner and like that stuff it's like at least this is you know it feels like a, in some ways a more honest representation even if it's still styled up a lot of of like actual families living together it's not you know the perfect family dinner or whatever that has the goofy hijinks around it um like that dynamic of the show I think is so fascinating and and again I think this is something that me watching like you like a different perspective is like I was done with all of the full this is just a sitcom show Like that section of the series was done for me in one night's viewing because I watched the first four episodes in a row basically so it's like for me that was like a phase of the show that was done in one night not something I was watching of the course like week to week that probably like is why it doesn't bother me as much because it doesn't feel as big of a like shift because it felt more natural watching them all kind of like stuck together yeah
0: I do want to say one last thing on the what you were saying about the your fear with the show was that they would make it so that it wasn't Wanda's fault and that yeah. it was Agatha's. I don't think most people think that. I had forgotten yeah. until you brought it up because the, sh- like, I, and I, look, I watched this show recently. I paid attention. I was writing about it. I was talking about it. And until you brought it up in my memory, it was that Agatha did it all because the meme is Agatha all along. The whole final episode is about that. And just in my head, what that reduces to. It's the filmic language of it It's basic cinematic grammar If you focus on one person As like the thing to be defeated In your memory it's going to be That was the source of the bad stuff I know on a technicality They don't take like Wanda's Blame for that out of the the, the picture But I, I would bet like Seven or eight out of ten people Who watch this show Would not be able to tell you That actual distinction
1: Yeah that's the magic trick Like that's what I was talking about Like that's they are very Intentionally doing that Of like they They I've, it feels to me like there was a mandate that you can't have Scarlet Witch be a villain. Like you just like they don't want to like as much as Marvel will get experimental with stuff and and go for like bigger swings with stuff like um, Infinity War or Thor Ragnarok or Black Panther. I it feels to me that they don't want to go down that route of like of like actually committing to Scarlet Witch being effectively a, a an antihero. At best a villain at worst in this story Um, But that's what I mean About betraying your own
0: story because that's Where to me it becomes like What you're saying is even more damning to me Than anything I said about the show because that's saying Like they started telling a story And then we're told you can't
1: tell that story In which case there's no point in telling the story In the first place Yeah so you know the comparison Point I made was to Victorian Literature that does this exact thing all the time right it does the, it, this is like the wedding ending of like you can't like and there are many different reasons why this happens but of this feeling of and it doesn't I and mean, I don't even know I don't want to like make a claim that they were told that you cannot have this kind of ending I don't know like I, I I think I just get the the sense whether it was an actual mandate or a thing you want to avoid because you're struggling with how do you do this with this superhero character do you want to have them be an anti-hero do you want to have them be, have them be a villain and you're playing with those different elements which scarlet which has like a complicated history with that in the comic books that is a lot to get into also um it feels like there's like this urge that you want to you want to explore those elements but you also didn't want to have the character be a hero and that's why you try to pull the magic trick at the end and i think it, it is very much to the show's detriment but it it Was better than I I thought like I really was anxious going into the ending of the show um because because I when they did the Agatha all along thing like that whole at the end of episode six I fucking hated it so much I was so like oh fuck 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 they're doing it and then it was like they're only mostly doing it there's this little sliver that I can hold (laughs) on to to hold on to those first six episodes that I think are really great um Um, Or the first seven or most of the first seven episodes right? Um, That I think is really great And, And that's maybe where that feeling Comes from of like I can hold on to That stuff because what they're doing at the end Doesn't erase it in the way That like if it literally was Wanda was just mind control The whole time it would kind of like Retroactively erase the rest of the story that They had been telling up to that point
0: Right but I Yeah but I guess my point Is that in most people's memory That's what they did like yeah, that's, I know I'm
1: that's, yeah. that's 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 for them for me I, I, okay. I because this is the exact thing I was like set up to fear with my history Of reading superhero comics it's like I was Looking for it I'm like well, you, you didn't I would you wouldn't dodge the Bullet but the bullet like you know hit you In the <laughs> lungs instead of dead middle in the heart I guess is kind of like where where my Metaphor goes with that
0: Okay so Basically, I think our our disagreement here is a matter of degrees. I think the show took a bullet to the heart in the finale. You think it took a bullet to the left lung. Um, for mine, it was pronounced dead at the scene. Yours is currently in triage at a local hospital. Yeah. That's the de- okay. I think that's a good. This this is a good. This is better than a two thumbs up rating system. This is I like this rating system. What body part did it take a bullet to?
1: Yeah. How how grievous an injury did it suffer by the like bad ending at the end of the TV show? Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier took a bullet to the head um, That finale you know, I, I think the show has problems Throughout, I don't think it's a very good show I don't think it's well directed, I think the acting's Up and down, I think the writing's Frequently very bad and and Sometimes is good and then steps on its own dick Because it is, it's a Disney show and can't actually say things of substance um, At least about The things it's trying to address um, And but that finale is so bad, I'm
1: amazed Disney like put it out. I don't feel that way about the show. Like I like I don't th- I think that to me this is very different than Wandavision, of where I think Wandavision is very good and then it has a nosedive at the end. Captain Falcon in the Winter Soldier um is more like it doesn't have particularly high highs, but it also I don't think it like it doesn't have like those deep valleys um, that mm-hmm. at the end. Like I yes, it does. <laughs> I don't think that that last episode is great, but I think it's fine. And I guess it's kind of how I feel about like a lot of um, the seventh show. Like I particularly I like the first episode and I like the fifth episode. Um, and I I think this episode two was also fine. Um, but like the rest of it was like it's like like decent. Like I enjoyed the ride. I like the the characters. Um, I think for me honestly my biggest Frustration with Falcon the Winter Soldier is that like The action is very inconsistent In quality there are a couple of pretty good action Sequences there are some action sequences that are Just fucking terrible Um, and like that Was the thing that to me is For what this show is trying and wants To be that to me is honestly the Biggest disappointment especially like with The legacy it sort of like is echoing of the captain american movies that very consistently i think have like the best sort of most grounded compelling action because it's the russo brothers that were very good at that starting with the winter soldier in particular um that this show like dropping the ball on that like probably like six out of ten times or something like occasionally you'd get a good action sequence but a lot of them were just very chopped up kind of confusing nonsense um that is the part to me that i'm like god damn it like this is the thing that i will that should have at least been, like, the good action show, um, and, and it can't do that consistently.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... So I, I watched this one weekly. I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt at points. I think, I think fundamentally this is a show that exists to try to let Disney say we made something seemingly progressive while being almost engineered in a lab to say Nothing. Um, Through its actual like story and where it goes and I found that frustrating and in the end pretty insulting because they let Malcolm Spellman the main writer go pretty far in the end of the fourth episode where evil Captain America kills the dude with the shield and there's blood on it and then the fifth episode which is the good episode episode five truth has them building the boat and having their cookout I love I wish the whole show was that that's good it's the only time that I feel like there's actual substance between the two title characters where they have stuff together um it's so i liked all of that i liked um in that episode some of you know he goes and talks to the um the the black soldier who was experimented on and you have some very raw stuff there that almost goes on to like indict the entire american system before in the finale nope uh everything's fine and, and it's just, it's a lot of that stuff that frustrates me. I think the entire main A plot with the Flag Smashers, one, I'm, I'm sure it's a thing from the comics. I cannot take a story seriously if the main characters are called the Flag Smashers. Nope, not with the aesthetic they're going for in the show. That's too stupid. Um, I think the Kari Morganthal character, I like that actress. I don't think they ever figured out what wavelength they actually wanted to go for there or what ideas they, if they actually wanted to Like, this is not Black Panther, where Black Panther really heavily comes down on the side of, like, this villain was right in a lot of ways, and the main character is going to be very deeply changed by it, and I don't think this show ever has that clarity of vision with it, Um, and so I found that very middling. It's it's very clearly a two-hour movie that was stretched to six episodes, like, episodes like you said you liked one and two, maybe, and then five and six, that's because three and four could be cut without almost anything... Of substance being lost the stuff with Baron Zemo is so bad he's completely a different character from who he was in Civil War and I think a character who does not play to Daniel Brühl's strength as an actor I think it's like a really weird characterization um, and then I think that finale is ineptly directed it's a bunch of action at night that you just cannot see like it is maybe the worst action scene I've seen in a superhero thing it is so bad sam like the way they end sam of him giving a nice speech about like america is bad but i'm also america and if i want it to be good maybe shrug and then he's wearing a really silly version of the captain america suit that is really bad um yeah no i no did not like this one this is the most negative i've ever felt about a marvel thing pretty easily
1: i i i so i guess i'd some of that stuff I agree with, some of it I don't. Like, one is I I actually really like Baron Zemo in this uh, show. Like, I think his characterization is quite interesting. There's something about the, like, hardcore anti-supremacist characterization they go through for that is, like, pretty fascinating. I don't think I've really seen a character that's quite like that um, in a superhero thing. It's very different from what I remember of Baron Zemo from the comics. It's, like, a pretty unique construction that is... is is. You know like I it's been a while since I've seen civil war so I don't honestly remember much of the character from that other because he's not A actually like a huge presence in that movie It's more about he sets things into motion Watches things spiral out of control and then he kind of Reveals to have been the puppet master behind the thing at the end with him manipulating iron man um, but there's something about that characterization and and them Going through that, I don't think it, like, lands basically any of its ideas completely, but it is, like, throwing a bunch of interesting, like, elements together in and juxtaposing them and contrasting them with, like, the super soldier serum, race, the symbolism of America, like, World War Two with the Winter Soldier and him being here and him being this, you know, part of, like, the symbolism of the Winter Soldier is that sense of, like, America's, like increasingly severe like corruption in this like that military sense over the course of this of the civil war and all that like there's this these really kind of like juicy elements that they throw together in many ways i guess like this is similar how i feel about about wandavision but it's like all those elements are really compelling and i like enjoyed the show putting them into juxtaposition and giving you kind of space to play with them like i actually was honestly like surprised by how like frank they allowed the show to be with like anthony mackey about like very directly addressing um like the racial connotations of the shield and what that means um like it's pretty directed in that way that is satisfying and yes it does end with him giving to give the big like like the the it's the very it's like the convenient his like version that history teachers will tell you about martin luther king jr version of like America and racism, right? Like it's very much that like um it's a it's him talking a lot of talk but not showing a lot of the walk, and that's very frustrating. Um but it doesn't but like with Wandavision, it doesn't I guess erase to me the the elements that they're throwing together of like what is Captain America, what does Captain America represent? What does the super soldier and like Ubermanch elements represent? How does that play into race? Those are like really kind of interesting Big questions to ask very fundamentally About the very premise of Captain America And and the show at its best To me is it being very kind of like Surprisingly solemn In like mulling over those ideas Because you have these two main characters One of whom is severely suffering From post-traumatic stress disorder in his entire life Having like being Effectively meaningless in The Winter Soldier And then the Falcon who is someone Who is trying to Be like the like good upstanding black man in like a white man's system, um, and trying to change it from the inside and seeing that that like how did they, that's maybe not actually possible. Um, yeah, it's I guess it's like it's very much, I think, the similar thing of, of watching all the episodes in like over the course of three days. I feel like probably makes a lot more of those juxtaposed elements feel more enticing to me than if I watched it like week by week. I think I probably would have found the show a lot more insufferable in a like old marvel netflix luke cage kind of way of the episodes are all too long there's subplots that go nowhere there are b plots that go nowhere and that stuff is frustrating but it doesn't eliminate the rest of the stuff that the show does that does well that it does well to me so i guess
0: here's here's my point of view on this i don't deny that all of those ideas are there and are brought up and are sometimes interesting and i found them interesting while the show was airing and mulling over them But I don't really give a shit if there's no follow through on it and the depth to which that final episode just sells those ideas down the water is is unforgivable it's it's not it doesn't count if you do what you do in that final episode it doesn't count if you have him go back to the guy who was tortured by the government and then left you know in poverty for his entire life and him go well I forgive you now Sam because you made a nice speech. It doesn't count if you have like the Carly thing just end with her dying and then he gives a nice speech. It doesn't count with the Bucky stuff if you don't have the denouement to Bucky story where they just cut away before he goes and talks to the guy that they've been setting up for six hours. His big arc is going to be going and apologizing to this guy who's kid he killed and they cut from Bucky's fucking character denouement. There's just stuff like that that is like and it, it's a constant for me in this show um, of of bringing up ideas And it, it you know I'm I'm not going to give Disney brownie Points because they were a little More open about talking about it than I Expected especially in a world Where they have produced something like Black Panther It's not like I haven't seen the example Of where they actually a- allow Some ideas like this
1: to go to fruition um, but Also but I mean But Black Panther does also end With him like with Black Panther opening like The community center or whatever it's, it's like Black Panther is not like actually revolutionary in its like final moments right like it is it is still back to and then we have to change it within the system by making small community measures like like to me it's Uh, not like actually that widely different in terms of how the ending directly approaches those those elements it still resorts to this like more convenient kind of like Conservative not in like right leaning Political but conservative in that like it's not A radical or revolutionary approach That they're trying to take they're shutting down The radical revolutionary approach By doing small nice gestures
0: uh, I, I think that's a little bit of a misreading of the end of Black Panther, but I do agree. But yeah, Black Panther does not end on a revolutionary note. I do think it's more than what you're giving it credit for. But this show, but I also shuts think that Falcon the and the Winter Soldier, of that.
1: yeah, I think for me, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it does more than what you're getting, giving it credit for too. Like I think it is again, it's not like I'm not sitting here telling you that it's like this is you know fucking do the right thing or something. It's fucking obviously not. But it's also it's, I don't think it's like backing that far away from its um, conclusive moments any more so than really Black Panther is like Black Panther needs to shut it down in ways that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier needs to like package it and make it more convenient for like a, a standard audience but that doesn't erase the way more interesting ideas that they're playing with that they're, that they're being very confrontational with, with that character who was basically the Black Captain America in the Korean War um, that doesn't remove those scenes I guess to me
0: Black Panther ends Michael B. Jordan's story with him saying, bury me in the ocean next to my forefathers who knew it was better to die than live in bondage. And Falcon and the Winter Soldier ends the scene with Bradley, the um, the soldier who was tortured and experimented on, getting a little plaque in the corner of a museum that you have to go like behind an exhibit to see and then forgiving America for it. Like, that is I diametrically like different levels of intellectual that, bankruptcy. That
1: scene is is I guess I read it symbolically as saying, like, your history is our is like the history of this country, and it and it need, and it can't be forgotten or buried. Like again, I it's not amazing, but it's not about forgiving America to me. It's about saying that like we can't. It is like one of the biggest crimes is like erasing that that he and then symbolically that like. The african-american experience existed at all right and the way in which we have whitewashed our own history to make it easier and more like digestible for us and why there are you know graves of african-americans and slaves that have been lost to all time because nobody bothered to keep them because the race like the history was not convenient for us to hold on to um i guess that's like to me that's what that scene was about is about saying that's like we can't bury this history and we need to bring it back and live with it and and it is as important or more important than the other history that we have learned is that's like I just think
0: you're giving a more full-throated defense of those ideas than the show does I you know like
1: I, and part of what this the is, show, I don't know I like I, but, I feel but like part of this is also
0: visual language matters and this is a horribly directed show like the the visual language of that last scene I remember this vividly is that it's in, like, this weird corner of the museum that the lights are off in and no one's going to go to. There's, like, there's so much about it that, that rubs me the wrong way. And I guess my view is just, if you're going to do the, these ideas with this level of, like, kid gloves, you just shouldn't bring them up. Because I part of it, too, is that the show goes far enough in questioning the Captain America symbolism that it convinces me that Sam shouldn't be Captain America and should do something else and then it doesn't find the other side of that equation of like what's the actual reasoning where he's going to pick up the shield and do it again and i don't see it i i think the show doesn't have an answer to that question other than disney told us we have to end with him being capped because they're going to make another movie and so it i think it gets in a
1: thematic quagmire that it doesn't know how to get out of i mean the so because the argument the show makes and i like and this is where i would agree that like i just feel like and this gets into just, like, I, you know, I feel like America should be destroyed and we should have a violent revolution. So it's, like, obviously the show's politics is not <laughs> going to play to me. But, like, the argument that the show makes is that Sam deserves to be able to be Captain America more than anybody else because Sam and his ancestors and and, like... You know black people and the slaves that we stole and brought over to this country like they are the people that gave more blood sweat and tears to make this country than anybody else so it's like he damn well better be able to to become captain america and hold that fucking shield and fuck everybody else who disagrees like that's the argument that they're making again i would say that like in the real world really it's like no Captain America's shield should be melted down And you know we should do the fucking Game of Thrones thing and like put that on like You know like melt the Faces of like every billionaire in the country But I but I think The show is doing more than you're giving it credit For I guess is is really the argument I want to make I just again I think you're like I'm Looking at the text of his final speech
0: here And I think you're doing a better like because what you're giving is like that's kind of the argument of like the 1619 project like nicole hannah jones opening essay in that is the um and i think it's a good argument is that black people are frequently the most patriotic americans because they know how shitty america is and they still want it to be the best version of itself that's like nicole hannah jones key argument in that essay and Uh, I just I guess I guess I can look at this speech and say that's kind of what Sam is saying with like the fingerprints like filed off like it's the very like Disney fied version of it but yeah I I don't know I I also the John Walker stuff I find interesting up until the point where the finale just forgets that he was evil yeah and he's fighting with them and then he has this just the whole baffling thing where somehow they made me annoyed at putting Julia Louis-Dreyfus in the MCU, which, up until Tony Leung, she was the most talented person to ever show up in the MCU, but the scene is so bad it annoyed me. Um, that made me sad. I should be more excited at Julia Louis-Dreyfus being in this.
1: Yeah, that's a place where I will totally agree with you, that that I think the Walker stuff works up to the point where they defeat him or whatever, and they take the shield away from him, which is, that's what, the beginning of, like, episode five. Yes. Um, and... And and like and if he was basically just gone, I think it would have been fine. Like I don't you you know, you can wrap up that subplot and then focus on the flag smashers. Like you don't need to bring him back. Um obviously it would be more elegant if you found like a really good way to integrate him into the finale of the show, but it's not like a strict necessity. Um and it would have been better if I think they had just left that character alone, and then if you wanna do a US Agent thing you do that later right you do your own your tv show whatever if you want to use that character as a us agent um because uh, because he's us agent in the comic books it's like you know i've read those comics i know where they're going with the character um and yeah like the his role in the finale is extremely frustrating because it doesn't really have a place there um for like any character involved it doesn't make sense that like nobody's questioning the fact that why is he here? Why is he dressed like Captain America again? Like I thought at the very least they were going to integrate it into and have into the power broker stuff by having Julia Louise Dreyfus either be the power broker or be, you know, an agent for um Sharon, because I was pretty sure that Sharon was going to be the power broker at that point, which ended up being that was the dumb case. too. I hate yeah. all that. But like if if it was a thing where there was this path forward for them by having him be like taken by her and being used by her as her own us agent or like captain america super soldier and i think you could have done something with that in the, in the finale and instead it feels like you have these two disparate elements the power broker and us agent and neither of them really fully have a place in the finale but they also don't connect to each other in any way so it's just like it's this like weird extra fat that presumably is there to be picked up you know, this is this is very much where I feel the Marvel like we're setting we're setting up something else in the future kind of thing. But I also don't think there's anything currently announced that's like a and this is the Power Broker TV show and here's U.S. Agent doing U.S. This, this
0: stuff. is this is a real annoyance I have with Marvel right now, and it even eats into Shang Chi, which I on the whole really really liked. Um, but it's it's got a couple of of weak spots around this too where. They, they're trying to set up, somehow Endgame came out, and instead of then what I would want, which is maybe receding a little bit and letting things evolve in their own corners for a while, they've decided to go much more ambitious than ever before in the interconnectedness, and so like WandaVision's finale has a lot of stuff. That is just setting up like I don't know like stuff that's going to be in the next Thor stuff that's going to be in the next Doctor Strange stuff that's going to be in the next in the Miss Marvel thing that they're doing and like and and in this they have like I don't know where that US agent stuff is coming up but like they're they're doing a lot of stuff where like you're going to have characters but it's not gonna be like their own show so I'm sure they have it planned and like I did read and listen to interviews with Malcolm Spellman the the main showrunner on this and I felt like if you read in between the lines of a lot of what he said I heard a lot of frustration with the Marvel side of it because he laid out like what the creative process is and like it's it's what he said is like when you come in Marvel has like the broad thing they want they want a Falcon and the Winter Soldier show right yeah and then to the writer they present like what he called a menu of options like here's a bunch of characters you could use here's a couple of story ideas we have but here are the things that need to happen And then anything you do has to hit like you do have some freedom you could bring in from this menu these different things and there are clearly things Malcolm Spellman brought that other writers would not have brought and I think a lot of that is what you're reacting to Sean and is the strong stuff in the show but like also if you're going to bring in some of those ideas but you also have to end it with the affirmative Sam Wilson is Captain America and the the evil cap guy whatever his name was u.s. Agent. US agent like john walker can't really be that bad so you can you can do the thing where he brutally murders someone and then they stop him but in the end he does have to help them stop the terrorists so that julia louis dreyfus can have him go do something in a future show like i i i can hear some of the frustration with that and i do think it is a problem and especially when you just see, like, like because it's, it's infected most of what they've done this year. I think Loki, because Loki is actually, like, thematically invested in the concept of the multiverse, that its big contribution to the MCU being introducing the multiverse is very, like, organic in a way that it is not in some of these other shows. But, like, all five things that Marvel's had out this year so far do have this, like... I think the interconnectedness is becoming a, a An anchor on the MCU Not something exciting Like, Let me give you an example with the Zemo thing mm-hmm. I don't disagree with what you're saying about Zemo Like thematically What annoyed me Is that it's Zemo Because I I think he's in Civil War more than you're giving him credit for And I also remember that character pretty vividly And I even went back and watched some of these scenes And like Daniel Brühl is just Giving a different performance He's written completely differently He has a different accent He... Um, Like, in Civil War, like, he's describing his family dying in a hovel. Like, it's very explicitly he was not Baron Zemo. That is not a thing in Civil War. He was not, like, part of an elite class. He was... The whole purpose of his character in Civil War is that he was part of the lower rungs of society in Sokovia that the Avengers were not worried about. And then in this, it's that he's, like, this super rich dude who's, like, very charismatic and outgoing and, like, has all this, like, life of the party shit and... I, if they had just been able to write a new character, just, just a different guy, It's his name is Ben or whatever, and he's this character, you could do all of that. But they have to bring in another character. I find the same thing with the Sharon Carter stuff, where like it's because you can never just have an original character in a Marvel thing anymore. It has to be someone that you will recognize and go, hey, I know that guy. And, and Shang-Chi has a moment like this that annoyed the shit out of me, where I'm just like, just have... Either don't do it or have new characters. It's not illegal. And that's where I find some frustration with Marvel these days.
1: Yeah, the Zemo stuff doesn't bother me at all. Just because it's been long enough since that movie and I haven't seen it in such a long time that I didn't remember the specifics of exactly how they did it outside of him not liking superhero bullshit because of, like, I remember that his family was killed in Avengers 2. It was, like, the main detail I remembered about that character. And it's like, I'm fine with them sort of, like because because i guess part of the reason why i'm fine with it is because baron zemo does have a big legacy uh, in the comics like he's a very long-running villain if you wanted to kind of bring the character and revamp him for your new tv show like eight years later i'm i'm fine with that um because i do because i think his role within the show in and of itself is really effective and is like to me by far the most interesting thing about that middle stretch that is like the weakest part of the show where it's dealing with the power broker stuff and there i don't really like i don't think there's really was ever any reason to bring the sharon carter character back because she herself felt like a weird vestigial part of the captain america movies that she was in because they never really committed to her actually being a love interest for him so she's just sort of there and they never really went too far with that character um So yeah Zemo I like I like enjoyed Him in this movie I I think their idea Or this series I like think their idea with the Character was good even if it's a very different Character than what they did before the power Broker stuff is the stuff that feels like You didn't need It it creates a weird Plot cul-de-sac it's overly convoluted It's a character that like It doesn't have much of a presence in the older Movies
0: yeah here's the One that here's the one that got me Is when they bring in the Black Panther characters and the wakanda stuff that to me reminded me of the moment in jessica jones season one when jessica is about to defeat kilgrave and then the support group comes in and like is protesting and they mess everything up do you remember that like that is to me like the the like paragon of like bad oh my god we haven't hit our required episode count yet pad this out by any means necessary Falcon and the Winter Soldier really went there I felt like when they bring in the the it's it's not it's the Dora Milaje but it's not the Dora Milaje like that you would recognize from the movie it's just it's a it's a it's a Wakandan and we're going to spend an episode on this because we need 6 and we didn't have 6
1: Yeah and especially because there is they could have I think done that much better if they had tied it more directly into like the the fact that Winter Soldier spend a lot of time in Wakanda um like they do a little bit of it but i think they could have made that you know if you need to integrate those characters or you want to integrate those wakandan characters there was a much more elegant way to have that then tie into more of what the show is actually doing yeah
0: yeah um i mean in general though i i don't think the show is that interested in the winter soldier like it's it's very clear the show is interested in the in the Sam Wilson part of it and Sam Wilson is the more interesting character Anthony Mackie is the more interesting actor and I feel like the Winter Soldier thing is there because they had a couple of kind of fun scenes in the movies and then they don't in this show they have almost no actual like interesting interactions in this show other than in episode 5 and like I felt like Bucky like there's some interesting ideas there as you say but I I felt like he was so on the back burner I found it distracting at times
1: I don't really agree with that I actually liked him a lot in this movie there's something about the performance that Sebastian Stan gives that I like of where the like I think where the character gets rough is I think it's maybe episode 2 or 3 I forget where but there's like some some like early stuff between him and Sam that feels very forced where there's like a junction in their relationship that they're not entirely sure as like writers how to like overcome um but like Bucky himself being this very kind of like haunted character. He doesn't say a lot whenever he says jokes. They're like, I feel like Sebastian Stan is like playing them often like intentionally awkward. Like it's not really what he wants to be saying, but like, he doesn't know what to say in these moments because he's a man out of time. Um, and there's something about the very haunted, like, you know, version of Captain America effectively. Um, that I find effective I don't know like I, I particularly I think in the first Episode I think a lot of his stuff there Sets the character up really well of You seeing him Really struggling to fit in anywhere um, And him Because it's this double whammy right of that He's a hundred year old man who is a fucking World War II veteran who then was forced To be an assassin for like the entirety Of the, of the Cold War um, And who's killed you know dozens If not hundreds of people he didn't want to And was forced to um, so it's those two pieces. He both is from the 1940s and he also has this sort of intense trauma around the role he played as the Winter Soldier. Um, and he's a, like a much more kind of subdued character for the show. Um, but I do think the show, compared to Sam, but I do think the show does invest a lot in him. And I think the contrast between him and Sam of, you know, Bucky's relationship to the S.H.I.E.L.D. and to... um steve into captain america is so different um and i think it like really importantly colors the show to have a character there that like represents that greatest generation concept and that like he bucky needs that you know that idea of the greatest generation in the shield and and all that there because it's the only thing that like gives his life any meaning like i actually found that to be a pretty compelling character
0: for episode one i did i just thought they kind of like the show has a lot of irons in the fire and he never felt like the priority he probably should have been if you like this really isn't a two-hander and i guess if you're going to call it the the falcon and the winter soldier i kind of wanted the two-hander version of this where like the resolution relies on something where both of them have a an equal and interesting role to play and inform each other you know um and i just i didn't see that I do like, and I do like Sebastian Stan. He's a less obviously like flashy and like movie star performer than Anthony Mackie who just has that kind of like movie star charisma. Um, But he is good in this and and I would take more stories with him. But yeah, I didn't, I don't know. Didn't really work for me. I think
1: we're maybe at an impasse on this one. Anything else to say before we move on to Loki? No, I think, yeah. Like I think it is easily the weakest of these three shows. Um, And I think some of it is like, I just have a lot more of a, like a relationship with some of these characters and with like Captain America and that stuff that I've always found very fascinating from the comics. And so I think that is part of where my enjoyment comes from it. Because like I said, at the top of the conversation, like this is the one that for both good and bad reasons, the bad being like it's too long, it's got weird plot called de sacs it feels a lot like you are watching a live action version of a monthly superhero comic book um storyline uh that those always have this like oh the ending is kind of couched uh like it's got this weird middle section where there's like a new villain that's in there for no reason um because you know with those monthly ongoing comics they are very heavily serialized they are constantly introducing random plot threads and tie-ins with other comics and all that kind of shit um but it also has some of this sort of like The ideas from those comics that I've always found very interesting Around the super soldier concept and how that ties into symbolism and race Like it does bring that stuff in as well and I enjoyed that a lot
0: All right well let's talk about the good one let's talk about Loki (laughs) Yes Loki is so good Sean I, I loved pretty much everything about Loki I think it is a tremendous fun thrill ride This is like Marvel at its best to me it's it's very creative i think it's very soulful in its character stuff i think it's honestly like it's smart and thoughtful in what it does with its characters in the way the best marvel stuff is like Uh a thor ragnarok or a black panther like it's on that level where it's 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 just has a level of like character writing and depth that i think exceeds what i would normally expect of 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 this franchise um in addition to having just just a killer cast i mean we mentioned tom hiddleston and owen wilson because they're the names we know going into this but um the 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 actress who plays sylvie sophia dimartino who i'm sure she's been in some stuff but was essentially unknown to a lot of people when this came out um is terrific and there's a lot of good actors along the way too um and i think it is in general much less reliant on sort of marvel cameos and stuff and so it 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 like this show is so much more free to build its own cast and world and like mythology than either of those other two shows, and that is something. It's also something that's fun with Shang Chi, which is largely new characters. Um, and so, man, I just I liked this show a lot.
1: Yeah, and and think one of the things that's impressive is that I think of these three shows, it is dealt like the most difficult hand to deal with, because with the other shows, it's like you've got Scarlet Witch and you've got Vision, you've got. Captain America, you've got... Or Falcon, you've got Winter Soldier, right? Like, it's like, these are characters that, like, have been in the movies. People know them, but they haven't had a lot of stories of their own. Make a TV show about them. Um, there are, like, a million different ways you could have taken those kinds of stories. With this, you have this very, like, awkward kind of setup, which is you have Loki, who's, like, one of people's favorite characters from the movies, right? And he is killed at the beginning of Avengers Infinity War. Um, And this, like, fully, completely puts the, like... Period on it of like that is the one time that Loki did not get away He very definitively that Loki died was killed by Thanos So I feel like that has been something in the back of my mind for a long time of like Are they ever going to try to bring that Loki back? Um, Because that's the Loki that was in Thor Ragnarok That's the Loki that had all that character development This Loki is then the Loki from Endgame That is the Loki from Avengers So he you know he has Thor 1 in Avengers and past that It is you know this is a different character Um and he is plucked from his Timeline or whatever right and it's like Or he he takes the fucking uh Infinity stone and fucks off you don't know what Happens to him that is like a weird Premise to start with for a tv Show is here is a character that people Like but he's not quite the character that people saw In the last two movies that he appeared in And he's Off in like a different version of The past or whatever like what do you do with That is such a weird sort of starting point Um and then Them saying them introducing let's do the time variance authority stuff let's bring in the multiverse all of that um and that kind of side from the marvel comics um you it's a weird realm that comic books get into with multiverse stuff and i think you really couldn't ask for it to be done better than what the show does with it
0: yeah because i think the most impressive thing to me right off the bat in that first episode is they turn that thing that felt like it was going to be an anchor on the show from a bug into a feature yeah, They turn it uh-huh. into like This being the worst version of Loki Like Loki from original Avengers Who is like like Loki in Thor is up to no good But he is not like trying to like take over Earth and kill everyone yet right mm-hmm. Like Loki in Avengers was the Just shit eating grin Awful you know I'm going to kill Everyone on Earth and you're all going to bow down to me And I am here burdened with glorious purpose Like the most evil version of Loki That's where we start and then this becomes a story of him being humbled and rebuilt in a very different and honestly much more fulsome way than even in the other Thor movies, right? Yeah. Because it is so much more... Because this is his story. though. That's Thor's story that Loki's a part of, but Loki's never the main sort of focus of it. And what I love in that first episode is, one, just the, the world building of the Time Variance Authority is so fun. And again, like, it's something that hadn't even occurred to me, but just looking at the cast lists... There are very few people in WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier who did not appear in other Uh Marvel things and Loki is primarily people who did not appear in other Marvel things and so like right off the bat you have Tom Hiddleston as Loki who we know but that first episode is a total two-hander between Loki and and Mobius Owen Wilson and just the refreshing nature of having someone new who has never been in Marvel who is not really a Marvel style actor like Owen Wilson is not someone I could imagine in most Marvel movies um, because he is so idiosyncratic in so many wonderful ways and he comes in giving a very Owen Wilson performance which to me is uh, Owen Wilson is one of my favorite actors so I fucking love him and Mobius is such a unique character and the time variance authority is such a fun like They play it in a very Douglas Adams way. It's very like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like silly bureaucracy version of the multiverse kind of thing. And you have that, it's this two-hander, and then it ultimately builds to just this long dialogue sequence that is Mobius talking to Loki in that like time theater with the projection and showing him like kind of what a pathetic piece of shit he is, right? And that's kind of where Loki is as we start the series is him like going from the high of I'm the king of the world in Avengers to my ass was just kicked by Hulk. (laughs) I was arrested. I got away for five seconds. Now I'm in the time variance authority. They could erase me. I have no powers. I accidentally kill my mother in this other times, you know, in this other timeline, I'm nothing. And yet because it's Owen Wilson, you also have this like warmth from Mobius that gives this kind of sense that maybe there's more hope to this. And I think that I was just sold so quickly on this And could tell like they were doing something Really special with these characters
1: Yeah if there's a scene in that First episode um, like right at the Very end you know where Loki's escaped And then he comes back he sees uh, His own future right um, Of him getting his mother killed In Thor 2 then him himself Getting killed um, by Thanos in Infinity War um, And then eventually Mobius comes back And then they kind of pick up their conversation about why does he like hurt people why does he do these awful things does he enjoy it what is it about and that's where you get this moment from thomas hiddleston that i think is like a really key thing they do here that sets up that this is like one of like i think the best like kind of sequences sort of explaining loki as a character is that all of that stuff is a part of the illusion right um and i think that's like very much true of his character that that these things he does that are extreme that are awful, that are evil. Um, like the whole thing he does, like the character he puts on, like it's all a performance. That's what it means to be a trickster god, to be the god of mischief. Is like he, he feels compelled to, through his own sense of like inferiority and his desires to be approved of, to do these things. Um, and like him do making, doing extreme acts of violence or whatever it is and seeming to enjoy it is a part of the performance that he puts on to make the illusion and the trick more real. Um, And I think that that's a really key insight that the show has into the character. Um, And I'd like that they give it to you kind of here at the beginning to sort of, I think, help on one hand to sort of like get this version of Loki, push him a little bit closer to the version of the character we're more familiar with, which is that slightly more kind of grown-up, like evolved version from um, Thor Ragnarok. Um, but then also then give you this sort of starting point to then start playing with that character because you've kind of cut through to his heart at the end of that first episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it immediately puts Loki in a introspective lens, which mm-hmm. he's never really been. Even when he's like rehabilitating in Thor Ragnarok, I would not call him an introspective character. Yeah. Um, and it's exactly what you say of, of creating this... Sort of space to look at Loki As an empty person Right mm-hmm. he is someone who like is Essentially a performer A trickster Who and there's kind of nothing There at the center and that Goes of course to the entire idea which This entire show is about them Hunting down other Lokis And meeting other Lokis and finding that Loki is kind of this empty signifier That can become anything right mm-hmm. Because Loki and Sylvie are technically The same thing but they are also 100% different um, and so you kind of What's so fascinating Is that at the same time as you're inviting Tom Hiddleston back to do his most iconic Performance you're also giving him a blank slate mm-hmm. Like he he and Then the writers Michael Waldron and everyone else Who wrote on this show are able To write Loki from a place of a kind Of blank slate of getting to kind of Start again um, And it's just it's kind of the best case scenario I can imagine for doing a story like This this deep into the MCU But making something that feels honestly pretty fresh and unencumbered by the layers of continuity that are on top of it you know what i mean
1: absolutely and it's like it's almost like it's either ironic or it's just very appropriate that the way they do that is through what is like conceptually the most complicated thing you you have like done so far in the mcu which is (laughs) the multiverse and the idea of like um it's not called proper human history uh, the sacred timeline here Here's, like, one right. thing is, Jonathan, if we ever do a Fate series podcast of, like, Fates Day Night and all that stuff in that, like, universe, the rules of the multiverse in here are very convenient shorthand because it's exactly how it works in a lot of the Fate stuff. So that also deals nice. with multiverse <laughs> bullshit. So, I like, I, I might get terms mixed up because I'm used to thinking about it in terms of the way the Fate stuff deals yes. with. The idea that there is a core timeline that is being protected and that there are branches that go off of it but if the branches become too extreme they have to be culled. Um, like that concept is really like I think rich and interesting and exciting because it, it gives you this sense of like you can play with the idea of the multiverse but there's like but it's not pure chaos it's not anything goes and the more you stretch it out the more like sort of dangerous it becomes I think it's like a really compelling fictional dynamic I've never seen quite in another treatment of uh, the multiverse like I know that the time variance of authority is in the Marvel comics but I've never read any of the stories that they are like that's like about this that's about Mobius like it's a character I know has been around but I've never actually like seen a story featuring him as like a main character so I don't know how similar this is to the comics Um, but I think the way that they explain and handle the multiverse is so compelling and fascinating and then gives them this space to do these really cool things with the main characters which is the most important thing
0: yeah and it does it does give it this kind of doctor who quality right Uh and specifically as you said sort of moffat doctor who where i think it has a lot like and the best parts of moffat doctor who where it's having fun with the timey-wiminess of it like in that second episode when loki makes that deduction when they're in pompeii Uh that this variant they're searching is hiding in like world ending events like hurricanes and the pompeii incident and things like that I could see that in an episode of Doctor Who yeah. I could see Tom I mean honestly what I was thinking about this is I'm like Oh Tom Hiddleston would be a really good Doctor Who uh-huh. <laughs> Like he probably couldn't be He's too famous but like um, if In a different life he could have been one of the Doctors And he could be really good at that um, But like I love that idea They have a lot of creative things with that They go to so many creative worlds Like this definitely is on the on the level of like Thor Ragnarok or Guardians of the Galaxy where Marvel is really having fun with the production design and yeah. just going to crazy parts of the universe and I love that it's, it's one it's very colorful and it doesn't have that just sort of flat digital what i think is like the red epic camera look that i think uh, a lot of marvel stuff has Shang chi which i really like also kind of has that problem where it's a little too just drab um this show is so creative on the level of art direction and it's always moving you're never in one place too long and the places you are in a lot like the time variance authority just looks so singular and cool um it's just man i just this is just a show i love being in even if I didn't like the story being told. And I do like the story being told. So it's almost like, you know, it's like a cherry on top.
1: Yeah, it it, it very much, like, speaks to this, like... I think, like, era of sci-fi television that, like, doesn't exist as much, I feel like, in the streaming world. Where it, it feels a lot like Doctor Who. It also feels a lot like The X-Files. It's, like, very much pulling from that like you know 90s to like mid 2000s ish like sci-fi tv slightly more heady concepts um um but here you've got like a budget to realize some of that stuff that those shows fucking certainly never had because most of those shows had to do 24 episodes in a fucking year um so this is like you get some of these like very exotic extreme ideas and visiting you know that planet that's going to be like or that moon or wherever they're on that's going to be impacted with a moon or a planet whichever configuration it is like it's Majora's Mask um it's yeah Lamentis
0: that's the third episode maybe the best episode that one is just the two hander with Loki and Sylvie as they're just trying to get off that planet and it's entirely that and i Love that one,
1: yeah, and that's like a concept that would be like as an episode of, of Well, we're on this planet that's going to explode because it's going to be impacted with another planet. Like, that would be something that'd be very hard to sell really effectively if you didn't have the kind of stupid budget of these shows because all these shows are absurdly expensive to make. But here, it's like, Well, this concept. Like, you just can't really execute it on what they want to have, of like, once it's really happening and like buildings are ripping apart and they're seeing like everything get destroyed. Um, It's something that I appreciate that if they're going to have all this money um, and the show's going to be expensive to make, I want to see the expense on the screen. Like, I want to benefit from that as a viewer. And that's like so much of what this show does. And it is able to execute on its like very exotic locations and stuff um, in a way that you've just never seen a TV show that like can do it like this
0: it's also really well directed like that is something that really separates this from the other shows for me so far this was directed by a woman named Kate Heron um I am not familiar with her other work but based on what we've seen so far I think she's very much for Marvel in that like Taika Waititi James Uh Gunn vein of like has an aesthetic command on this that like can fit into the marvel world. This doesn't feel like a radical rupture, but it feels just like a much 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 better and more interesting version than like whatever kind of the the middle average line is, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think just like the way this show handles tonal shifts the way it handles just the basics of production design and cinematography and what it's visually going to present to you, the playfulness with which it it changes with characters. It's also a show that just builds in a lot of quiet space for characters to sit down and talk. And I can't tell you how much I love that. There's a lot of this show that is Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson in a room talking about their feelings and goals and like... To a degree that I don't really think there's another Marvel thing that goes this deep there's a couple scenes in Black Panther um, and also Tom Hiddleston and Sophie DiMartino just a lot of that but then it can also turn on a dime and do just amazing comedy like in that fifth episode with all the crazy Loki variants like Richard Grant and alligator Loki and all of that and like I do think and then in the final episode where you get just these soaring emotional climaxes like Kate Heron definitely should be on Marvel's list of people to get as much as they can get her if she wants to do other stuff she should go do other stuff obviously but if she wants to make more Marvel stuff I would hope she's at the top of Marvel's list because I think Matt Shakeman did okay on WandaVision not so much with the superhero stuff at the end I think um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was so ineptly directed and then this is just like this is the goods this is this is what a Marvel thing should be at its best Um, and it is it is so fun on that level
1: yeah i agree that it's just it 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 is the kind of thing that is always i think where my heart most goes with these movies it's like why the thor stuff is always my favorite it is why i like thor too it's like i like when they go big and weird and like the more sort of like cosmic sci-fi they lean into the more interested i am right like like being able to it just gives you these ideas to play with that other movies don't do right it's like you know, Doctor Strange isn't the most incredible movie ever made But you don't see shit in, That's in Doctor Strange in any other movie Other than like a couple of scenes in Inception That get all kind of like mind fucky In World Bendy um, Or like all the crazy portal shit that happens in Thor 2 Like everything in Thor Ragnarok Or the Guardians movies You get this like vision of this Like kind of like You know neon cosmic space sci-fi stuff um and here now it's mixed with dimensions in doctor who time travel type stuff um that is so exciting and it's so invigorating as a viewer because you just don't see a lot of stuff that exists quite in this space that is taking some of the most interesting traditions from the comics that very much come a lot from that kind of weird jack kirby sci-fi bullshit stuff that's so great um and yes and it only gets to work if it's directed super well And and this is like some of the like the best directed that any of this kind of flavor that Marvel has that we've gotten so far. Um, That yeah, Yeah. it's just it's great great stuff,
0: great stuff. So what do you think of Sylvie? She's kind of our other like she's our deuteragonist of this show very much, right? Um, In that she is the other Loki. Um, she's kind of the breakout character of this show the person who is uh, doing evil because they were horribly acted against and obviously the more we get to know Sylvie the show shifts from being about finding these Loki variants to being what the fuck is going on with this time variance authority and I thought that central mystery was a lot of fun I really didn't know where the show was going in a good way where like I'm like I want to see what the next step is and I found the, the ending and everything very satisfying but I also found Sylvie's role in that and the, and what the show winds up being about in some of its like philosophical ideas About free will and the idea that Because Sylvie was a Loki And briefly broke out of her Timeline you would condemn her forever And then she becomes what she becomes And that puts this mirror Onto Loki himself um, I didn't Expect this show to, to have that level of depth And it really does
1: Yeah, And I think the thing And very elegant plotting thing that the show Does is that You know it's got that deuteragonist structure with sylvie being this kind of like secondary protagonist But like really what they do is that they shift the balance right that for the first half plus of the show It's really it's like our loki loki who's like very he's the protagonist, right sylvie at that point is like sort of an antagonistic figure Um, but then you have that episode where they're together on the planet Which is the two-hander and then after that it starts shifting to where Really, the story is much more Sylvie's story than it is Loki's, right? It's much more... um, Right, she's the one that has the closest, most intimate connection to the Time Variance Authority. She is the character that has, like, the strongest motivation to try to figure out what is happening here and put a stop to it. Um, And I think that shift of perspective, as you slowly start moving more to her side of things and you have a lot more scenes that are just from her perspective... um, it's really well plotted and structured that way to where you get to like sort of feel like both of these characters are your protagonists at the same time. And that kind of baton pass almost um, to Sylvie being really the character um, that is most heavily involved in the story, which is a a kind of a trip, right? It's very much like I always think of like Yuna in final fantasy X is very much a similar kind of thing. Um, But I think it's just really elegantly handled here.
0: It's uh, it becomes like Mad Max Fury Road, right? Yes. Where Fury Road is Furiosa's story, but Mad, but Max is our protagonist because he's our POV. That's what Loki becomes with with Sylvie as our Furiosa essentially. Um, and then it is a really good love story with Loki, mm-hmm. like just genuinely their chemistry, how kind of broken they are, but they fill each other in. Their big kiss at the end, the the tragedy of it. It works really well even though I do have several questions about how this works like if Loki and Sylvie have sex is that masturbation because they are both Loki if they have a kid is that incest. Because they're not related but they are I guess The same DNA this is what goes Through my head because I'm weird Um, See Jonathan
1: if you spent more time With like fan fiction on the internet you Would know there's already a term for this called self cessed so it's like we're you know (laughs) This is not new ground You're breaking like like let's 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 do our fucking research before we get On the podcast okay
0: Okay so I should have googled I should have put on safe search And like (laughs) you know yeah Activated my VPN (laughs) started searching um okay yeah no i mean but seriously though sean i love that they just went for it that's one of those things that like i wonder if just like the disney censors didn't get it because it is such a like fan fiction kind of thing they're doing but like yeah. so fulsomely and wholeheartedly i do love it
1: yeah and then you know it also has that like the show is very much committing to these are two distinct people like yes they like right they right. fill the same like they like circled the same dot on the fucking like timeline role of like we're technically filling this role yes. in the timeline but they are just dis- very distinct individuals and, and i like that i like that sense of you know it, it it sort of helps fill out the like themes of the show to be relevant and like very easily transferable in a symbolic way to like things that you can actually relate to that aren't the multiverse because whether the multiverse exists or right. not we have no way of interacting with it but we do experience in our day-to-day lives that sense of like the society and the structure and government Or school or whatever like creating Roles for you expecting you to fit into that Role and when you try to diverge from that role No matter who you are no matter how Well you fit into that role it then will Call you or cut you off um, Like those themes are really Potent here and I like how Hardcore they go into like These are definitely distinct people Like whatever the, the fact that They're technically Loki right they give her her Own name and all that stuff um, yes. it's It's very well done
0: and again, it's it comes from that idea that the show starts with, which is that Loki is kind of an empty vessel, and the Loki that we've been following is maybe the emptiest of all the Lokis, because uh-huh. all the other variants we meet have a purpose in life. You have classic Loki of Richard Grant, you have alligator Loki, who he's living his best life, you know, who you have the kid Loki, who's like the king of that planet, I just... That fifth episode, all the world building of like this planet at like the end of the universe, very Douglas Adams, very yeah. restaurant at the end of the universe, um, all of that stuff, and then there's, this, there's all these Lokis here who have just decided, like, hey, we're fine living here, this is great, <laughs> and yeah, uh, I have to say, I, I have a particular love in my heart for alligator Loki, but the fact that they got Richard E. Grant to do classic Loki Was a a real a real coup of this show Yeah
1: Richard Richard Grant is classic Loki I mean that was I was mostly unspoiled On um, like all these shows But generally like I tried to avoid Because I knew I was going to watch them eventually Like trying to get too involved in seeing stuff But like I did end up seeing When the the episode aired an image Of Richard Grant wearing that costume And that was in many ways the thing That most motivated me to be like Yeah I really need to fucking start watching these (laughs) things Because I oh my god Him in this like if they had made a Avengers TV show in like the late sixties on American TV, that is the costume he would be wearing. <laughs> um, it's, it's so good. And this whole like thing of like, he just kind of used his illusions to escape death at the hands of Thanos and just fucked off for like 60, 70 years or whatever until eventually he's like, oh, I wonder if anybody remembers me. And then as soon as he has that thought, the time variance 30 shows up saying really like, interesting character um
0: yeah. <laughs> so good and i do like that they pay some attention here and there to like the 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 vague continuity of like loki's life that produces all these variants um of course which also opens up that you know i feel like the show could be more frank about this but it's disney and they're only going to go so far but like the gender fluidity of loki and even like the the ethnic fluidity we see in some of that right and mm-hmm. and i mean the uh, species cuz he's also an alligator you know um, I like that Loki can just be anything and that the Tom Hiddleston shape is just a shape I think that's a cool idea
1: Yeah because in I mean in the comics like Loki and this is not multiverse stuff This is just because he's the trickster god like or they are the trickster god I guess you should say Like Loki has been a woman for extended periods of time So this is part of what they're yeah. pulling with the Sylvie sil- sil- idea um, But yeah it's cool to have that then be integrated here even if it's in a slightly different form The thing I most want to see is I want to see them make a series of shorts where it's like, I want to see if like Alligator Loki's timeline went on appropriately. What is the scene from the beginning of Avengers Infinity War with Thanos only it's Alligator Loki instead of Tom Hiddleston? I really want to see how that would play out he bites loki's uh, he bites Thanos' hand off
0: he saves the day he just snaps that thing off and then thor grabs the infinity
1: gauntlet and just gets out of there it's yeah. great Maybe that's what the nexus event was that's that's how he does the, the timeline wasn't fucked up because loki happened to be an alligator this time the timeline was fucked up because alligator loki is the one who won
0: yes oh my god that's if if the that what if show were doing stuff like that i'd be interested in it and if it had a budget um yeah anyway um so yeah all of that is good and then we've got The finale which is this Very mysterious Technically very exposition heavy But I think in a really fun way and in a way That I do think like answers The big thematic questions the show lays down uh, And it is also An introduction to Kang The Conqueror Who yeah. I think we can safely say is going to be The Thanos of the next phase of Marvel Stuff
1: yeah I will say that this is So again I finished watching this last night So I haven't had like a lot of time to think on it I'm, I'm not, like, totally sold on the last episode of Loki. Like, I think it, it's, like, it's a bit too much of, like, the heavy exposition. And um, Jonathan Majors is maybe too, like, he's maybe a little bit too at 11. And maybe, like, he oh, could no, turn it down perfect. a bit. I love him. I love it's, him. It was a bit much for me. Um, And then the very sudden ending of uh, where I was, like, I, I while the credits were playing, I looked at it, it as, like, is, is this just actually the ending of the show? And it's, like, okay, so there will be season two, okay, um, yeah. Like they so, say that during the
0: credits, actually, they they don't make you go look it up on your phone. Well,
1: yeah, but it was while the like the the whatever the like big produced right. credits were playing. I looked it up and said yes. it's like, oh, there'll be a season two. And then I looked up and it said, and Loki will return in season two. I'm like, okay, right. Um, but
0: I'm just saying that like they wanted the audience to know that, yes. not like yeah, yeah.
1: But but so. I do think it it does. I'm like I'm not fully sold on that like that ending for this. Season of TV I guess like like it, it's I, I Here I feel a little bit of like the stuff you've been talking about of where Like the Kang the Conqueror stuff and this is probably like an issue with me knowing that character too much from the comics And so like do you like Dumping all that on this last episode of the TV show and then just kind of piecing out is like A bit too much of like and then you'll see this in the next Season or if he shows up in a movie or whatever they're going to do with Kang the Conqueror um, Like that I found that a little frustrating So I
0: loved it and I And I knew full well while watching it That like this should annoy me more But one I just thought the level of execution Was very high I really liked Jonathan Winters I thought he was Jonathan extremely Majors. entertaining What did I say Jonathan Winters yes. That's a different actor uh-huh. Jonathan Majors Who I've seen Jonathan Majors in other stuff And I always like him and I think it's uh, That's one of those castings where like The MCU is very lucky to get that guy now because I think in five years they won't be able to. He's gonna be big. Um, He's already getting big. And so that's really cool. Um, And I think, I just thought it worked thematically for me too of that like, yes, it's a lot of like uh, exposition and introduction to this, but the idea of there being this, being like Kang the Conqueror who realized that he created too many alternate timelines and multiverses and all this stuff. So one version of him like just takes it all off the board and then creates this whole cycle that Loki is in that is also kind of a mirror to Loki. I thought it's very interesting. And I think the central emotional tension of that episode of Loki having grown enough to be the one to like urge caution from Sylvie and Sylvie being the one who just needs to have his head and that's it um, felt like, Not a settled ending Not a neat ending But like the right And inevitable ending In the right dramatic way And because this one is This one feels like a TV show Like this Mm -hmm. one doesn't feel like WandaVision or Like even before getting to the finale This just felt like a show where like from episode five if episode six were the last they ever did of a loki show it would have felt weird to me like this just feels like it was being set up for more than one season and so it being that worked fine for me and again i do think it provides a good ending to this season and story and then i am like again there's a lot of hints to a lot of different things in the marvel stuff so far this year the one thing that's really gotten me excited is i like what they're doing with king the conqueror i like the idea of blowing up the multiverse and having fun with this and we know jonathan majors is going to be in the next ant-man they're going to bring him in he'll probably be in the next season of loki it sounds like there's a possibility that when they reconvene the avengers it'll be a king the conqueror kind of story um and i think that's fun i think that's a fun series of things they could do here
1: yeah i mean i really like the character like i like i mean i like king the conqueror i like how they kind of Tie him here more directly into the Multiverse stuff because he's a character that Traditionally it's more just he's like a dude from the Future um, making it also Like combining that with the multiverse Thing um, is cool because There's like a couple of other they kind of like He's kind of like a gestalt character Of like different elements of the comics that they Turn together here um, and I think All that is cool I just think there was maybe Like a slightly more Elegant way to Put it together than to have like the big Exposition dump and then in the the shows, so quickly afterwards, um it, it annoyed me a little bit. Like not anywhere enough that it's like it really affects the show that much. It's just like, you know, I I I would like a more slightly sort of like rounded off ending for this season of TV, and then but then pick up like something else for the second season. But
0: yeah, well we'll see where they go with it. There's a lot of
1: possibilities, and this one is just. Just a bundle of fun I really loved this yeah. show I think the other thing I now remember The other thing That kind of weirded me out About the ending Is that the um, The like Head of the TVA Like the lady Like the movies his friend Or whatever His boss Like she just kind of Walks through a portal And that's the last You see of her And I thought That's like a weird Obviously she'll show up In whatever the season 2 is That's like a weird exit For the character In this show Because I kept on Just waiting for her To show up in the scene With King of the Conqueror Because it felt like That was the Implication yeah. made in the way that that sequence was put together.
0: That is, if I have, I had kind of forgotten about that. If I had one complaint overall with Loki, I think that character Renslayer is underserved. That's yeah. Gugu mbatha She's a great actress. She's very underused in this. Like she can do more than what they give her to do. It was a little weird. I I don't know if like there's a bigger role in the future, which is why you cast her. But it's it's I don't know. It almost felt like there was a. Version of this story that had more In it at some point and then it had to be Scaled back and that's where the cuts happened You know mm-hmm. But you know I also got Owen Wilson In a Marvel thing and it's yeah. Was the most perfect Owen Wilson role and he was Wonderful and I love Owen
1: Wilson I mean to me that is like the the Thing that this show gets is just Having fucking Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson Get to sit down have conversations like if the show Was yes. literally only that it would already Be great because yeah. Every scene that they have together, where they just get to chat, it's the fucking best stuff. It's so good.
0: All right. Well, that's Marvel for now. You you still need to catch up on Black Widow.
1: They need to make Black Widow I, free on Disney Plus. And, and, and <laughs> yes, then and then yes, they watch it. Do.
0: <laughs> it will be soon. I yes. think it's later this month. I think it's um, like
1: early October or something like that.
0: Okay. Um. I mean, you're. It's it's fine. It's interesting. It is this weird, uncanny valley of a movie that feels like it was supposed to come out in 2016 and didn't. Uh, and then like fell through a portal and it's like, that's nice, but I don't need it now. Um, and then Shang-Chi is awesome and has Tony Leung as uh, the most talented slash hottest person in the MCU. So yeah, I look forward I'm to you seeing that.
1: Very, very excited to see Shang-Chi. I would have been very excited to have seen it yesterday. if Hopefully <laughs> hopefully that movie theater is put back together or whatever the fuck they had to do to fix the like the pipes. I don't know plumbing yeah. something because like that was the funny thing about going to the movie theaters like it was clear that the guy i was talking to didn't really understand what was wrong either because just like the water the plumbing and it's like you just you just can't come in you, you got to get a refund it was like okay um so yeah. hopefully i can see that movie soon
0: well depending on how it shakes out next week we will either be gundam build fighters try or we might do a shang chi thing if we feel like it but we'll see We'll have, we'll have another podcast
1: It'll be something fun, it'll be good I'm tired I'm tired, but I, I, I'm, I'm Very excited to finally be able to watch a movie In a movie theater again for the first time Since Kimes no Yaiba As soon as that movie theater is actually fixed